In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello, welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy New Year! Welcome to 2022! Woo! I'm your host, Tom Sidlachik, and today we are going to discuss board games. We're specifically talking about crowdfunded games. Last year we did this same episode in January. It was really popular, so we brought it back this year. We're going to start by talking about the games that we discussed last year that actually came out, mention briefly the games that didn't come out and uh, what their status is, and then we're going to take a look at what's coming in the year ahead. Joining me for the discussion tonight are Hobbybox, Joe Burns. hey And the Ox, Adam Wilson. How's it going? It is good. Good to have you guys here. Adam, did I get your nickname right? Like, yeah, I call I mean, you Adam. I'm not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not exactly like, intimate. Well, right, not like... We're definitely right. not intimate. But yeah, you haven't been gored by the ox yet? That's what you're saying? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... hoping tonight's the night. <laughs> it's, it's just something that, like... I had as like a gamer tag online. A friend gave me the nickname Ox King from Dragon Ball Z. It's a whole story we can go into sometime if you want. Um, but then it's just been shortened all the way down to Ox. And I think in Discord, it's just Adam Ox Wilson. So it's whatever people call me, I respond to. So works <laughs> well, for me. Let's do this, Ox. Best gamer tag I've ever seen? Poop with corn. That <laughs> was one of your pledge brothers. Uh, that makes that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean that does happen. My yeah. uh, my brother in law refers to them as tracers when he has them because you know like a tracer round that you put in with like a heavy machine gun are the ones that have lights on it so you can see like the path of the bullets and stuff like that if you're shooting at night. So he calls the corn tracers in <laughs> in especially like in a holiday meal because then you can see that the food's coming out when you ate it. You know, yep, the turkey's been processed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And if you're listening to this and wondering what you got yourself into, <laughs> welcome! <laughs> Odds are good, you've been here before. <laughs> Adam, you haven't been here since we did this show last year. How did 2021 treat you? Uh, pretty good, actually. I, I played as many games as I possibly could. I was pretty busy. Um, we kept up to the tradition of uh, Green Bay Game Retreat Weekend, so Joe was there again this year, I think. This year went a little bit smoother. Um, what was not smooth about? Well, the last we'll, time? we'll leave that for off the air. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, Did it involve tracers? <laughs> potentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to tell. Uh, <laughs> Did it involve cuts at Perkins? <laughs> no. no. Well, we don't know. <laughs> the, the side of it that yeah. was a little harsh. Oh, but all right. We'll, it, we'll it, was, it was a really good time, and I think it's something that I want to try to keep going year to year just because it's a, it is a great time we have a, like play lots of games eat lots of good food and mm-hmm. have a good time and maybe some year we can expand it and start getting more and more people out there for it's like weekend. you read my mind it's like you're on this podcast with me it's like what do i have to do to score an invite where do i rank on the list right i know what burns is fantasy football league i was like the 16th person in 14th person in so i know where i stand with him but where am i no. on your list i need i need to correct the record there you were in the league at one point and then you had to drop out because you didn't have time. And then when I was expanding the league again, I asked you, hey, you want to be in my guillotine league? And you're like, I don't have time for that right now. <laughs> and then so it's like, and now I'm your 16th most important friend to get into the fantasy football league. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like me at all. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, game weekend great. 
I guess recently my wife and I also opened a business, became landlords and property managers, and then also I achieved the title of dad. So that's been a whole new thing going on too. Congratulations. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you very much. So I'm, uh, Teaching Emily Young. We were reading the ABCs of D and D already. So <laughs> nice. I love um, that book. You have the uh, is one two three is the other one. Yes, one two three is the other one. We don't have that yet. It's kind of a slow burn, kind of like <laughs> sneaking that in, um, slowly corrupting my child into being a super geek. So, and I can say that because I'm sure Nicole won't listen to the podcast. Yeah. Well, um, and but the, the problem with the one, two, three book is that, be, you know, knowing how Adam plays D&D, he's going to get stuck on ones the, yeah, entire, we, we, the entire book. It is, get past that. It's, 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 it just goes one, one. <laughs> you you can't roll a one again. Watch me. One. Uh, I'm like literally the comic relief. At, mm-hmm. uh, and it's always at the, it's always at uh, Game, Game Old Con. Playing in the convention, the the um, what's it called? Adventures, in- Adventures League. League. Yeah. yeah, I my characters do not survive well. <laughs> is that uh, is that why you like worker placement games so much? Yeah, because I can just, <laughs> just abuse my workers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Actually, no, I love dice chucking. So, like, that's probably one of my favorite things. I guess. Yeah, dice games, are awesome, but it's fun. I also tried to convince my older daughter to be a super geek. Like, we were reading the same books early on, and she's got all kinds of Star Wars stuff, and she's got all kinds of superheroes and shirts. One day, she's just done. She's like, nope, nope, not wearing Spider-Man. Give me that pink shirt. Yep. Unicorn, yeah. yep. rainbow, pink, purple. And now, like, she won't do anything hero-related. to. We have one Star Wars shirt that she'll wear. Wow. So enjoy it while, like, enjoy it before she has free will. Put her in... <laughs> Every single day. Yep. Nope. It's it'll be what it is, and I'll love her either way. But if if I haven't if I don't try, then I then I'm gonna get mad at myself. Exactly. So. Well, Adam brought life into the world. Burns, you've been playing Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I have. That has been the last. uh, Well, what? So December third to now. That has been the last twelve days. Twelve days of my life, basically. Um, In that time period, I streamed for. 70 hours and 54 minutes and uh the other night well actually the other early morning i actually completed the uh expansion uh and it was amazing okay so you said that was like 13 days you played 70 hours you beat the expansion already was that satisfying that feels a touch touch short for a mmo I mean, 70 hours is quite a bit when you're looking at and, and this is like actual story progression and things like that um, no, I, I thought it was phenomenal. I, I mean, I, I like basically binged it <laughs> playing that much in that short of a period of time. And so I know I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was phenomenal. They did a fantastic job with it and building off of what they did with the last expansion, Shadowbringers, which, you know, was heralded by many, including me, as one of the best Final Fantasy stories out there. And then with Endwalker, they like took it to the next level and really wrapped things up in a very satisfying way, I think. So going to the moon was satisfying. Oh, yes. Going to the moon was was awesome, actually. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because, you know, they tell you ahead of time, we're going to the moon, and you're like, well, you're going to just ruin the entire game for us. But it's like, no, there's, like, surprises upon surprises, and, like, you're going to the moon, but, like, what's the deal with the moon and everything like that? And I don't know. I They did such a phenomenal job of like laying things out for us ahead of time and then like setting expectations, subverting those expectations and, and like paying off on things that they've like mentioned all the way back in like their first expansion, Heavensward in a realm reborn 
which is like what 11 12 years old now and so like taking all this cuz cuz Endwalker was billed as being the wrap up of the entire story that started in 1.0 and then a realm reborn uh and and I think they did a phenomenal job and they set it up to you know what's going to be interesting next and so it's I, I don't know I I really enjoyed it. it is probably my favorite game of all time now um especially seeing as how much time I've put into the game and I still want to keep playing it um yeah it it is hands down one of my favorites spoiler that- alert is the moon made of cheese? No. Okay. No. Never mind. We're good. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't disappoint. Is there going to be more FF14? Or yes. is Endwalker the end? No. So Endwalker. So Endwalker is like the Endwalker begin runner? Sure. Start I think there's runner? jogging. Is there jogging? In there is probably going to be. It's jogging. It's a, it's a, it's a soft J. Well, what about power walking? Power, it, that might be the, the bridge content until the next release. Okay. Um, but uh, but no, uh, this was the wrap up of the first saga, and then now everything after the end of Endwalker is going to be setting up the next sort of ex- like saga. All right, you're like fifteen hundred hours into this, and I don't think that's even hyperbolic. You're a crazy amount of time into this game, and now you start a new arc. Like, are you gonna? Do you see yourself making that same commitment to what comes next in FF14? Probably. I mean, you can't ever say for sure like what everything is going to be. And you are almost exactly right. I'm 1526 hours into uh, final fantasy 14. Uh, I get you. You did. You nailed it pretty much. Uh, You're just, just a day off. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) I, I mean, right now I foresee myself playing it. Not every day, obviously. Um, It'll be something where I'll probably drop off for a while. Now that once I get through some of the expansion content uh, that's still out there, but I'll probably keep coming back because I really love playing the game and, you know, I, I enjoyed the time I invested in it. I'm looking forward to investing more time in it. So, how are the new classes? Uh, I haven't played as any of them yet. Um, so, I mostly just played my dragoon up to the level cap, and then my other class that was at the level cap was red mage, and I'm working on leveling that up to ninety now too. Uh, and then I, my next class that's after that is bard that I have at seventy one or two or three somewhere through there. Um, and I'm working on leveling that up with some of the systems. All the classic Final Fantasy power fantasies, the Red Mage and the Bard. I love, I've always loved Red Mage. Bard was just, I don't know why I picked Bard, to be honest. <laughs> it was just a class that I picked, and I and they made changes with that class in in, uh, in Endwalker that uh, made it like a lot more fun to play. I'm actually really enjoying playing that right now, but yeah. That's probably more than we need to have about Final <laughs> Fantasy XIV on a board game podcast. <laughs> Well, it's our love for that game is well documented, and I'm curious. Mm-hmm. It's fun to talk about it. As a follow up to our Venom show, you've been playing a ton of Marvel Champions. I saw that you just bought another new character expansion tonight. Yeah. How uh, how invested are you in this game at this point? Uh, so I bought the starter, and then I have bought four hero packs. I bought Captain America, Scarlet Witch, Hulk, and then now I bought Quicksilver. And then uh, I, for my birthday, I got um, the expansion with, or the, the story expansion, the campaign with Thanos. That's something about the Mad Titan or something like that. Um, and we have played halfway through that. I've played about 10 games of it since we, maybe more than that now, actually, uh, since we recorded the podcast. Really enjoying it. Uh, it still has, like, its hard moments, that's for sure. And different characters, like, add another... Like, it, you really have to think about how you can maybe make them work or make them work together. Uh, and so that's an interesting puzzle to try to figure out. 
Adam, have you made it to the table for Marvel Champions? Are you one of Burns' five best friends? I am not. Uh, I sneak into that list sometimes when I'm needed. Um, <laughs> if there's something I have that he needs. But otherwise, no, I'm, I'm not like the called upon hero that he... I'm the hero he deserves some days. Um, no, I haven't. I've been interested. We've actually had talks about it. Because it, it's definitely like one of those... My, my hesitation is the pitfall of the mm-hmm. classic FFG... Yeah. LCG, yeah. Money Pit, we're going to release 200 expansions and they're coming mm-hmm. out monthly and prepare your wallet. That's why you'd be friends with Burns. Right, <laughs> right. True. You could just yeah. play my copy. Right, exactly. But no, I've heard really good things about it and mm-hmm. it's always piqued my interest um, that it's like, well, do I, do I bite the bullet, buy the course set, try it sometime? But honestly, I probably will only play burns copy because i have such a backlog of games yeah. in in my mm-hmm. game room right now that it's like and it's still growing which we'll talk about a little <laughs> bit later yes, yes, <laughs> yes it is for my part i feel horrible that i didn't close 2021 with any kind of statement of gratitude like we did our mammoth witcher show and i knew it was the december show but for some reason it didn't click that december was the end of the year now it we're midway through december i'm like oh crap it's the end of the year like i should <laughs> tell people that i appreciate them <laughs> Uh, we've been doing Outside is Overrated monthly for three years now. It has been quite a journey. I can't possibly thank everyone who has played a role in this adventure, but I did want to call a handful of very special people out. First off, our sponsor, Dr. Brian Camille with Premier Health. I can honestly say that this show literally would not be a monthly show without your support, so thank you, Brian. To my co-host, the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. Like I was going to make this grand gesture. I was going to count up all the hours that we did this year. Yeah. But uh, that didn't happen. I assume three hours a show. I think you did 10 main shows, 30 plus 12 unfiltered. That's another 12 hours plus like 10 more game passes. So about 52 hours on mic yeah. together this year. Not counting the Witcher show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was like half of the hours that I did yeah. the Witcher show. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, Burns. Thank you for being along on this journey. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. To our Game Pass Forever co-host, Dr. C, Casey Aline. Casey's got three kids, a busy job and like a busy life, and he makes time to not only play games every single month, but to talk about them too. So thank you, Casey. Yeah, for someone who never plays games, it's good to have him there to talk about them. Yeah, it's amazing that he's always on microphone when he's literally never played a video game before. <laughs> it's the strangest thing. Thank you to everyone who has joined us on mic this year. I probably should have written down all the names and just read through them, but uh, 12 shows, three hosts every show. Uh, thank you to everyone who has taken some time to speak into our microphones. Thank you to all of our fantastic supporters on Patreon. And most importantly of all, thank you to my amazing wife, Phoenix, for not only supporting, but encouraging this uh, passion that I have for talking to the microphones about my favorite hobby. I love performing. I love speaking into these mics. Thank you to everyone who listens to Outside is Overrated. Whether this is your first time or you've never missed an episode, thank you for giving me a creative outlet, and I hope that I've been able to entertain you. People never forget their first time. Well, not everyone gets asked about their testicles on the first time. <laughs> I think true. I think that was a very specific and special moment that you and I had. <laughs> that is true. We uh, That was before this office was completely finished, and we were trying to record in the room next door, which is our guest room, but I think you were sitting on, like, a uh, exercise ball. And I think just, so. Yeah, it was just a terrible setup. It worked. Hey, we, we, we made it through. Yeah. We made it through, made some upgrades. I think I'm going to make the commitment to boom mics after Christmas, and uh, yeah, then we'll really be roaring. Before we launch into our main topics, thank you to our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. 
if you feel so inclined, I highly encourage you and hope that you'll support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. You can back the show for as little as $2 a month. Follow us on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow me at ThompsonLogicOIO on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Burns at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. Adam, I was going to ask you to put your handles in here. Ox's Auditorium. If you can spell it, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> ODD in Auditorium. But yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. Good clarification. Yeah. Yes, not Auditorium. Auditorium. Like odd. Like, like odd world. And yeah, not like, not odd like A W E D. It, yeah. it, it actually spawns from my passion of randomness, of like video games, uh, painting, airbrushing, uh, miniature competitions. Like it's like just the assortment of what do I feel like that day is is the outlet in which I can then express, you know, myself. So. And now that you're a dad, you can forget about expressing yourself for several yep. years. <laughs> you can also follow the show at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. We're going to start our discussion today by revisiting the games we talked about last year, the ones that actually arrived. We're going to start with Dungeon Ball. Joey, you backed this game on Kickstarter, published mm-hmm. by Barrett Publishing, designed by Gabe Barrett. The theme was fantasy world football, so it's fan- it's football in a fantasy setting. Yes. It's a one versus one game. It has a board game geek rating of 7.8. That is much higher than I expected when we talked about this game last year. Yeah. How is it? Well, so I, I'm one thing I'm guessing is that the, the rating's probably high because I don't know like how many people have played it and rated it on there. So it might get that from like not having a ton of ratings. Then that's mean to say I haven't pl- I haven't played the game, unfortunately. Um, it came actually I got it a while ago. Uh, but it's one of those things where when I've been getting together, like coming out of COVID, well, not that we're out of COVID, but coming out of like complete and total lockdown for a year. Uh, it, it's one of those things where I've been, when I've been getting together to play with people, it's usually been with either more than just me and somebody else, uh, or it's been playing with one other person, but we already had planned to play something else, like a Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game or now Marvel Champions and so it's just one of those things. I haven't gotten it to the table yet. I've opened it up. I've looked through. I mean, it, I like the look of everything. Um, it's pretty simple components, um, but I don't think it, was, it wasn't it was that expensive of a game either. Uh, and so, um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to playing it at some point because the whole thing that I liked about it was that it was basically a board game version of one of my favorite uh, video games growing up, like Tecmo Super Bowl. So you have the play card. You lay it down while the other person lays down the defensive play. And then you figure out what happens based upon that. And you move down a field with your different players. There's like five or six different teams that you could be um, that are all based on like orcs and dwarves and elves and stuff like that. And so I'm looking forward to playing it. Hopefully, by by this time next year, I will have played it at least once, I'm sure. We'll see. We'll see. It reminds me tremendously of Mutant League football, which I always had Mm -hmm. an affinity for. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Burns. We have a pretty large circle of mutual friends. Why don't you challenge one person to uh, a game of Dungeon Ball? Casey, I will take you down. You think you know football? No, not the defensive coordinator of whatever school his kids go to. Yes, I'm going to eviscerate your Dungeon Ball team the way that official eviscerated your team that one game. <laughs> Just make sure you don't show up early for it. <laughs> we can start early, right? 
Yeah. Well, there you have it. The challenge has been issued. Uh, Dr. C, Casey Aline, are you man enough to step into the mono a mano arena that is Dungeon Ball? I don't know. I mean, if you look at his fantasy football team, I think he's just given up on caring about football now, so probably not. Yeah, they are terrible. He's a, he's a horrible fantasy player. <laughs> Adam, uh, can you remind us of your level of interest in Dungeon Ball? About the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say mine is much less. Like, it sounds interesting. And yes, Burns, if you brought it over and said, hey, let's play some Dungeon Ball, I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll try some Dungeon Ball. But, like, thinking about all the games that we're going to talk about the rest of today, thinking about all the games in my gaming closet, thinking of all the games that I'm eyeballing at the source whenever I stumble in there, like, it just, I can't see myself ever bringing it to the table. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of gaming and also kind of like the double-edged sword, right? There's so many that come out and you see the new shiny and you want the new shiny. And I feel like this last year I've done a lot better job of reining it in. Mm -hmm. I know last year, my list of games to talk about was huge. And this year was like a really easy top three for me. And do you think that was a byproduct of reining it in? Or is that supply chain issues, squeezing (laughs) game developers and not being able to create new games? Honestly, like a little of both. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely reining it in. Like I thought two years ago, I'm like, Oh, I know what I like in gaming. I've really got now like good taste and I can look at a game and read the rule book or watch a playthrough and know if I'd like it or not. Or like, it still just continues to refine and refine and refine. And you get kind of to a point, I think where you're just like, and some people don't like some people like the collecting aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But what I feel bad for is I am a player. So therefore if I have games in my collection that aren't played, I feel bad. So I'm trying to also keep my collection honed down to a reasonable number where you can, I mean, at the point where you probably can't play every game every year, but I could probably play within a couple year span if once life gets back to normal and, you know, kids and <laughs> and, and all that, you know, COVID or whatever else doesn't throw a wrench in it. But um, Well, and that's one of the things that I think you're really good about is if you've played a game a couple of times and you're just like, I don't know if I really want to play it, you'll sell it. You'll yep. get it. You'll get it and you'll, you'll sell it. You'll get the money back that you can put into something else. That's something I need to get better at because I'll have different games that I don't plan on playing anymore or you know i maybe play it but i just don't know if i'll ever get it back to the table again i probably should i have games that i bought that i have an extra copy of that i want to sell that i just haven't taken the initiative to sell it yet so anybody wants to buy a rising sun uh let me know (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting that you're able to pare down your collection i have a hard time of letting go of games too but i'm I'm very selective in my purchases. Like, I'm fortunate that I have friends like you guys that are more on the cutting edge of games, buying a lot more new stuff as it comes out. So I'm exposed to a lot, but I don't, like, I, I don't invest out of my own pocket very much. I'm very miserly. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, that's smart to be, too. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing, yeah. you can't decry that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you both for your benevolence. <laughs> Adam, we'll turn to you to talk about Anachrony. This is the sole game off your list that actually got delivered last year. It is published by Richard Amon, Victor Peter, David Turksey, designed by Mind Clash Games. The theme is post-apocalyptic time travel. It is a worker placement game with resource management and a tableau builder. You're trying to escape the planet while avoiding timeline anomalies. You build a base and a worker pool. Workers are specialized and exhausted, and there are tons of add-on modules for replayability. What was your level of excitement for this game before it came out, and how did it deliver against that? Excitement, very, very high, and it sits at probably my favorite worker placement game of my collection. Definitely in top 10, like, 
It is a fantastic game. That's awesome. And you guys brought this to the table during your last gaming retreat, right? So, Birds, yes. you played this too? Yeah, I did. Yes. What was your level of excitement and the delivery? Um, So, I do... Birds hated it with a fiery passion. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about my level of excitement. Because, uh, you know, we talk about lots of games. I have a hard time, unless I've like watched like a couple of videos about something, of keeping it straight what it is. So, it's hard to gauge what my level of excitement was because it's like... I know Adam's really excited to play this game. I can't remember which one of the you know twenty that we've talked about recently it is. Right. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I I would agree. It is. It is definitely. It is a really fun worker placement game, and the added like, just like twists on how that works are just really cool, and it makes it makes the game fun, and it, I think it makes. It gives you lots of different strategies that can you can follow. I think one of the things that worker placement games can fall into is like a trap of. This is the best way through this. You know, this is how I this is how I set these things up. This is how I need to do this. And that's my strategy whenever I play this game. And but, I think you can do a lot. I mean, you could still find that with anachrony. But I think it's one of those things where there's lots of other variables to it. It sounds like you're describing the tech track in Tapestry. Right. And I still disagree with you to an extent. Yeah, on you that. can be wrong. It's actually, fine. You're, you're in the minority in this room right now. <laughs> Tapestry is actually my favorite Stonemaier game. So, but we're not talking about tapestry. We're talking about anachrony. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's fantastic. Um, I haven't touched any amount of the content that you can get through it. And just like the thought and mechanics behind it. So kind of just to give another quick overview, you have specialist workers, you have engineers, you have scientists, you have admin staff, and then you have geniuses who can fill any of those three. Mm-hmm. So each worker is a different type of worker placement that can, depending on your action, so if you're drilling for resources, the engineer is going to do that more effectively than the admin staff. But if you're trying to manage your worker pool, admin staff are obviously better for that. And if you're researching tech, well, guess what? The scientists win there. So it has this like level of complexity of specializing, not like only like yourself in worker placement, but your workers themselves. And your workers exhaust, so you have to wake them up. So that's what admin staff are good at, is maintaining your workforce and things like that. And there's just so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. And we played it, and then we looked at the modules just in the base game alone. And I have the Infinity All-In box. It has all the modules and the solo mm-hmm. play and the scenarios. And the you can add, like, evil factions that are also then attacking you. And it has so much to it, and it's so hard to describe. But, like, even the suit, you have exosuits for your workers if they're going out on the planet, which is toxic. That you have to power your, like they thought about powering your suit so a resource is literally power and you have to power those suits to send those workers out if they're not working in your own base. So it's like just the detail is there and Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm a huge sci-fi fan and I love my space games and this could probably also be my top space game. Like definitely a contender for even the number one spot potentially if I get more plays in. Well, and I think one of the other aspects that I, I really enjoyed about it is because you can send your workers on like outside of the timeline basically to do things. But then the longer you keep them there, the higher chance there is that you're going to create these anomalies, which are really hard to deal with in the present time. Uh, and, and so it's like this sort of push your luck aspect of it or like, Hey, remember I got to get this guy back. Otherwise I'm going to be screwed yeah. at the end of the game. And, uh, and it's, it's so, it, it's such an interesting aspect to it also. Yep. They punish you hard for being bad at timeline travel, but they reward you for victory points for doing it well. Mm-hmm. So it's this really interesting mechanic where if you ignore time travel, you will be mediocre through the entire game. If 
but that's the risk, right? Like I can play average Joe safe. Work, uh, yeah, average Joe safe. Call me um, <laughs> Or you can play the timeline game, but that's a big risk, like because it can it can basically an anomaly creates a hole in your base that you have to take care of, and it spends lots of resources if you're into that point. It sounds like I would be a big time traveler in this game. No risk it, no biscuit. <laughs> take Probably, it, take, yes. take it out all of all of the resources every time, and just Tom would be his base would be an anomaly, and then, <laughs> but he would have lots of victory points for time traveling. Does so. he, uh, is there a flamethrower available in the game? Because he would also have that or a um, rocket launcher. I don't think so. This game sucks. I don't know. <laughs> But it sounds really interesting. It sounds like the most complex worker placement game I've ever heard of. Adam, I know that you have a very analytical mind. Like, we've talked about video games before. Civilization is one of your favorite games. Uh, You've written a review on the site for Cedars of Serious Exodus, which also seems like a very heavy, involved game. Like, you love these heavy, brain-busting games. Would a big, dumb idiot like me that doesn't always pay attention to details, like, really enjoy this experience? Because I like... I like worker placement games, like, but I like them on the softer end, like uh, Waterdeep. That's that's my speed. I just wonder, and especially if I was trying to onboard someone new into worker placement, do you think that there is a sweet spot where someone newer to the worker placement genre could enjoy Anachrony, or is it just for the big boys and girls? I would say you could, depending on the person, if they're newer to games. Sounds know. like a no. Well, no, you definitely could. I, I think... The group matters as well. Mm-hmm. I am I am passionate about those brain busting analytic games, but I'm also passionate about teaching people games. I go out of my way to be the board game supplier, right? Like I want to teach people games. I want to get people into the hobby. And if you want to learn that game and you're willing to kind of put in the time or the effort or the day that it's going to take to learn it and go through it, honestly, in the concept, like yes, it's co- complex and strategies, and and if you want to dive into it, you can. But on the surface. There's very simple actions like, okay, are you going to wake your workers this round that have gone to sleep? Or are you going to just work with the pool you have? That's your decision right now. You can break it down and you can help people. And I I think um, that's why I like playing games with Joe a lot. I think he's a really good kind of like co-host for teaching people. And and he's more about the experience rather than just the cutthroat winning side of it. Because I think... It's what makes us a good team. (laughs) I have have fun in in the the experience and the journey of it, not just being the winner at the end of the day. And I think Joe is similar to that. So I think... Honestly, I think you could have a new person come in and play it. I would recommend other worker placement games unless they're very passionate about, like, I want to learn to time travel. Mm -hmm. So... One of my uh, favorite memories with you is when you came. You joined us for the Stonemeyer Games day of show prep, and uh, you taught us how to play Viticulture, which was very nice. And uh, Casey didn't think you pulled any punches on it. He's so bitter from how you just kicked our <laughs> Viticulture. Uh, the Dark Souls of winemaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Viticulture is an interesting game to me. I I bought it as something to try to get my wife interested. And it, and it turned into almost like it's, it's honestly a very cutthroat game, I feel like, because mm-hmm. even the base game, you have to have the expansion, in my opinion. The base game is so efficient that if you are not the most efficient person, you will not win. And the expansion actually allows more forgiveness of, oh, shoot, I have extra grapes. I can at least get some victory points here. If you have extra grapes in the base game, good luck getting that like worked out before someone wins. Interesting. I feel like that uh, heavy refinement carries over to Scythe, where 
because I feel in sight the most efficient person, which is usually me, wins. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good track record in sight. Humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> Not so humble brag. <laughs> That's my show. I'm the hero, but hey, you know fine. that. Yeah. Uh, I should also mention that Anachrony has an 8.9 score on Board Game Geek, which is high. Like yes. I, I can't remember what Marvel Champions rated, but uh, we've had games that are significantly lower than that. It's yeah, also so. in talks for like one of the best solo games out there right now, too, actually. Like, Fascinating. The solo aspect of it was done so well um, that like the solo game community is very high on it as well. So that 8.9 is not only for the multiplayer functions of it, um, but also for the solo play as well. I want to dive more into solo play when we talk about one of the games you have that I am not going to be able to pronounce a little later in the show. <laughs> uh, the last game that came in from last year was Merchant's Cove. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most interesting premises of a game I remember talking about. Merchant's Cove is published by Final Frontier Games, designed by Johnny Pack, Carl Van Ostrand, Drake Velario. The theme is... You take the role of a shopkeeper in a fantasy world with asymmetric gameplay. You're gathering resources and making materials to sell to vendors. The game has a 7.7 rating on Board Game Geek. I think you guys both also played this at your board game weekend, right? So, Bruce, yes. This and once after that, too. Yeah, we played it at my house again. Yeah. Like, I think we both really like it, but I'll yeah. let you take the lead on this one for now. Yeah. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it's actually... I think it was... This is going to sound mean. It was, I think it was a better game than I, I was expecting it to be. Because uh, like one, one of the biggest difficulties about asymmetry in any sort of game is how do you make it to make sure that like each side has a valid way to win and that one side isn't always in a better position to win, right? And, and I, think, I think it did a really good job with the... We've only played as like the base four vendors so far. Um, but I think it does a really good job of balancing that out and making each experience interesting in how they, excuse me, in how they play, but also, um, like giving them, like you have certain advantages as one and you have other things that are a little bit more difficult as one of the other vendors, uh, or, or, or merchants, I guess would be the best way mm-hmm. to put it. Or I guess if you're the captain, you're kind of a merchant, but you're, you're more so an explorer and stuff. And it's just, it's a really interesting idea as to how it works. And I'm really interested also in diving into uh, the four expansion jobs uh, that you can, that you can play in the game that, that we haven't even touched yet either. And so, but I mean, for what we've played, I've played as the blacksmith and the captain. And so with the captain, you have like a spinner and you get an option of, to do that type of thing. And then you basically have this Island that you're going around and you're going out to kind of find treasures and then you can take those in and sell them. Uh, but then there's other aspects that you can use to to score points as well. As the blacksmith, you're, you're making armor and weapons to sell. Did and, you uh, make a lot of cod pieces? Uh, they didn't have a cod piece for you to, to, to make, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and, and then and, and and so like that's the one aspect of the game. But the, the bigger part of it is sort of the jockeying for which people come in to buy things. So there's four different colors of meeples, basically. They're different types of, of characters. And they're all randomly placed, as time goes on, onto boats in the harbor. And so you draw... Is it one or two on your turn? Two on your turn, right? Um, yes. yes, you draw two yes. on your turn, and then you choose which boats they go into. Once a boat fills, whoever fills that boat puts it in at one of the docks. And 
you can only sell certain things at certain docks. And so you're... You comp- draw two to begin with. They all start... Don't they start with some? They start... Each one starts with two. And then, and you, then draw you draw one, one and put it into there each yeah. turn. Yeah. And then once all of the boats come into the harbor, the turn ends and you sell your stuff. And so it's like you're fighting with other people to say, okay, I really need the red meeples to come into this port because I have lots of big items that I want to sell to them that I've been able to create. Um, and if, say, Adam is also looking for the red ones you kind of have a team up where it's like, we need to get red meeples into these boats. And then you're trying to decide, okay, there's two red meeples and one blue meeple in this one boat. If I draw a yellow meeple, do I put it into that boat to pull it in? Or do I risk it and hope that Adam gets a red one on his next turn? And then we're going to get that one in to get us more points. And so you, you have this sort of, sometimes you're teamed up with people, sometimes you're playing against them. Uh, which is a, it, it, it's an interesting aspect of the game that I didn't really think about until we played it, uh, of like how that like weighs into the experience. Uh, There's nothing like living the power fantasy of loading meeples on a boat. Exactly, it, it's, it's it's oddly fun though. Yes, like I really like. It. I know it's very actually for the community because I'm on a part of way too many board game groups on <laughs> online, but it's a very hot and cold game for people. I know some people do not like. It it's I think it's like kind of the tapestry esque mm-hmm. like some people really like it and then some people are like awesome. I, I hate this and and it's unbalanced and the blacksmith is boring it's like okay well you you're entitled to your opinion that's great but there are like some people that really like well, it well if you so like rolling dice you're gonna like the blacksmith right and then you just got to make the best out of your dice and try right. to mitigate the dice rolls if you're not rolling what you want and right? then yeah and then there's really two games going on it's it's your game you're playing by yourself and then it's the game that you're like fighting over ships and if you're if you're not paying attention to both it, it definitely hurts you because the yeah. first game so i played actually the other two fact or the other two merchants yeah. oddly i played the alchemist and the time traveler time traveler right or um, is it the oracle, oracle yeah, yeah. He t- he, but he time travels. time travels yeah yeah and so um the first game i did not pay attention too much to the merchants i was like oh well i can sell these and that's great and i'll make potions and ha fun uh got destroyed <laughs> and then in the second game i did a lot better of watching what other people doing and i crushed that game with the oracle mm-hmm. um which is a very unique character in itself because i even warned you reading the rules i'm like it's gonna seem like i'm cheating with the <laughs> amount of turns i have but the oracle's weird because they kind of um take half turns uh you have two pieces you're the only person in the game that has two characters but one character can never get in front of the other so you have to do certain actions at certain points where not a lot of other people are like that. It's like, you just can't do the same action twice. So it's this really interesting thing, but you can also then super combo at the right times with mm-hmm. them. And that's kind of where I, I crushed in the alchemist. I could barely even figure out the alchemist puzzle in itself, but the, yeah, I, I enjoyed it both times winning and losing. And that like, like the time aspect of it. So the different actions you choose to do take a different amount of time. And then you each have like markers around this clock. And so it's similar to how uh, the Firefly board game works, where you could do something that's going to take longer, and you can usually do a lot more with that, but then you have to wait for everybody else to do things. And the risk of that is that's more people putting meeples into boats while you're waiting to get your next turn, and so you lose control over that. So even though you you can do like more stuff sometimes by taking more time with an action you're losing some of that control and you have to be careful of that. And so it's, it's a really, it's really interesting how it works. 
Um, and I, I don't know. I've really enjoyed it. It's 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 one of the games that I really want to play more with more people, just I so agree. that more people get a chance to try it and experience it. Uh, and I'd like to play as all of the different merchants just to see how they work, as well as like the expansion ones, like the innkeeper, where you're you're managing an inn and you're putting meeples into beds, and it's an interesting like different aspect of how the game works. Uh, and, and so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to play it more and and see what other people think about it. Um, I could see some people not liking it or not enjoying it, uh, but depending upon the type of game you like, as long as you pick the right merchant, you'll still have some fun, I think, with it. I can't wait for you to introduce this game to like <laughs> my core group of friends and watch everyone just load up the boats with all of Patrick's colors. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man of our friend group. <laughs> I'm going to put you guys both on the spot right now. The whole Earth is lava. You can only play one of these games... For all time, the other games have to go into the lava. Anachrony. Yeah, anachrony. Oh, all right, well, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and anachrony just... is, like, there's so much depth to that. Like, there's so many different things that you yep. can do with each game. Um, it's going to have the most replayability. And so if yep. it comes down to that, like, it would definitely be that. But if you choose anachrony, you have to watch X-Men 3 while playing it. I, I mean, I'll just focus on the game and tune it out. So that's easy. With headphones on. That's fine. Forever. I mean, forever is a lot. I might just fall in the lava myself then at that point. <laughs> hey, Tom, I got, I got one more bonus thing I'm going to throw a wrench into your plans here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am expected actually to receive tomorrow my Uprising Pledge, which was one of my also most anticipated games from last year um, as Which well. one was that? So that's where it's a, actually a 4X um, game, but it's cooperative, where you're each different factions trying to fight against uh, there's the an Empire. NPC, yep. yep, there's two. There's like an Emperor, and there's like a Chaos faction, and they're moving throughout the board also like fighting, and they can fight each other and get points for each other as well. So it's like one of those things that you really have to manage, and, and the teamwork is like very needed, because if any one player does not score higher than either of the two NPC factions everyone loses because it just, it shows that you don't have enough power to overthrow either of those factions. And then therefore, according to lore, it'll be wiped out and kind of fun fact. And I'll definitely do a lot more coverage for this. And I want to do more coverage for this, even on like my channels and things like that. And I'd be happy to do, you know, some write-ups or something for it, um, for OIO. But, uh, I did actually some lore writing for the game that they're putting into a book, and I actually created some pieces and, and stuff like that. So I have like a lot of ties to this company as well. For, did like, they name one of the factions after you, or is it one they, of the groups? In they the- named one of the bad, like the bad guys after. Yes. Um, I, I made the Mage Breaker, and which is actually like this. Um, my spin on it was you have the two factions of chaos and and you know empire, but the emperor. The reason why the world is breaking is the empire. The emperor obtained too much magical power and basically broke the world. And that's why the chaos is able to come through because the emperor was trying to, um, I think it was like revive one of his family members. If I'm remembering correctly, it's been a little bit since I read the origins on it. And so my thought was, well, why don't we have him before that time happened? Like, you know, up and coming. What if he actually kind of put a spell on one of the chaos factions instead of killing them off? 
and brought them to the Empire side. So they have all the standard, like, Empire, like, military units and people. And then they have this giant Arachna Mage Breaker where it's like, if you are a spell-based faction, it punishes you really hard for that. So you need to rely on your allies to take them out. And that's kind of one of the cool aspects of the game is the asymmetry of everyone specializing and then having to try to take out targets according to your strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that. But it's fun. I definitely want to do more, and I definitely would love to teach anyone who wants to play it because it's it's definitely a top potential five for me as well. And I think we had talked about potentially playing that game as like a thing to do at the OAO Patreon party this last year. Granted, they, it didn't come in time, and that happens, especially right. in 2021, but I think it would be awesome to bring it to the table. And since it's coming tomorrow, let's just uh, come back tomorrow night and record a whole new show, guys. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll tell the wife she's got to watch the kid over the weekend. I'm sure that'll go over well. <laughs> I have to play it for 12 hours straight. It's research for Tom's show. Who's Tom? (laughs) He's just just Tom. It's It's, fine. It's Tom. He needs help. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I hope that that game delivers for you. I know that you were very involved with it, and if you want to learn more about it, check out our episode from January of last year. New Year, New Games, January of 2021. Perfect. Hey, guys, don't you think crowdfunding's great? Great. I mean, it allows companies, both big and small, to gauge interest on new and upcoming games while also raising the money to help get the project off the ground. Only problem is, I didn't use my legs to lift my all-in Madara pledge. Now my lower back is killing me. Who knew over 800 cards, hundreds of terrain and condition tokens, 44 miniatures, 17 dice, and 5 rule books could do that to a guy? (laughs) Do you know anyone who can help me fix my problem now and prepare me for when volumes 2 and 3 arrive? We certainly do. First, lift with your knees. <laughs> Second, check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, and board game-related injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN, as in Minnesota, dot com. We're going to move on to Tom Awesome's Top 5. We're going to do something special today. I'm going to hand it over to Adam. Adam, welcome to Tom Awesome's Top 5. I feel pretty awesome giving the, getting this honor, so hopefully I don't uh, let you guys down. I was kind of debating between a couple topics, but I'll save one just in case I get invited back sometime again. So <laughs> Never happening. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going to cover like the top five games I like to introduce people to. And it's kind of not just like, oh, you're new to gaming. Let me just teach you a game. There's like some specific reasons on like the mechanics behind. There's like a little more thought into it. And I'll try to explain it as I go. So starting with number five. um, And this, why this is number five is this is probably one of the most complex games on the list besides the honorable mention, um, which is Res Arcana. And I don't mean it's complicated in the fact that it's hard to learn. The amount of strategy in eight cards is impossible to describe until Mm -hmm. you play it and this game is like probably one of the game retreats like best games discovered and almost every single person if not every single person i've taught this game has bought the game um so burnt did you buy it oh yeah like the like on the days (laughs) after we got back from board game weekend the first time yep and i think uh uh, the last one, Mark bought yeah. it on his way home or something like yeah. that. Someone bought it on their way home from the game retreat weekend, actually. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah, and, and what it kind of teaches you is 
card cra- uh, drafting. So there's a draft at the beginning of the game that like sets your whole strategy for the whole game going forward. And then it's kind of an engine builder, I'd say, a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but, I mean, really the core of it is a card drafting game where you're drafting your strategy and then you're kind of live or die by that strategy. Yeah. And the more we've played it, the more tricky we've gotten. Uh, I think we had some pretty like rough around the edges strategies going into it. Mm-hmm. And then I think this last time I, f- I was like up late thinking about it. I'm like, hang on a second. You can discard cards to get gold, and then you can just recycle that card over and over and over and over again. And I built this engine next time we played where I suddenly was just generating gold off this one stupid card. I discarded Drew, discarded Drew, discarded Drew, and then I just bought monuments. And it worked out pretty well. And then then it's like, well, that strategy shot, I have to go think like 200 more hours <laughs> for the next one to try to figure out how to get a fast one on these guys. Because it is fun, and, and it's competitive, but it's quick too. So you can, like, once you teach people, I mean, we played three, four games like in between other games because mm-hmm. we can play it so fast at this point. So what kept you from repeating that strategy every single time you played it forever? Cause once people kind of see that they can try to play you, if they kind of can know what you're working towards and things like that, there's other ways that they can counter you then. So that's the really cool thing is there's so yeah. many kind of moving gears and levers. So in like against that. that, you could build something that's more aggressive. And if he doesn't have something to block that, you can do damage to him, and he's going to have to discard resources if he doesn't have a way to mitigate the damage, which means he could be making a lot of gold, but he's going to be throwing that away because yeah. I'm hitting you with two dragons. You yeah. know? Or if or if there's ways to like score that gold as points, mm-hmm. and if someone has a better resources generator to buy that card before I can yep. get it, and I have too much gold already, I'm sitting on gold that doesn't do a whole lot. Yep. So there's there's definitely ways that like you have to be careful, and you got to be strategic going into it. And that's why it's like... It's number five because of the strategy now at this point. It's like I feel, it would almost feel a little bad if there's not if there's just one new person playing against three <laughs> people who have played already. I feel like they might be really bit far behind. But um, well, let's play this game like fifteen times, just the three of us, and then let's bring Pat over. To play. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In all seriousness, though, this is a game that I would love to go up against Patrick in. It feels like with that give and take, I feel like there is a lot of room for us to really go at each other in that particular game definitely well the newest expansions there's one that just landed in the u.s recently but the at first the first expansion added more ways to attack other players so yes. tom it's right up your alley <laughs> <laughs> any any problems with that one i know there's a couple rebuttals coming up but <laughs> yeah we'll rebut at the end okay. uh, but i love res arcana and so I'd, I'd recommend anybody to play that too uh number four for me is ticket to ride uh so this is kind of a push your luck set collection hand management I think this is like the monopoly of the new generation. It's the game that everyone should know and own, honestly, in my opinion. It's the game I can get my in-laws who are not gamers. They are, they are all that is Wisconsin and man and hunting and fishing and big trucks and mudding with four-wheelers that this nerd like kid who happened to like score the wife way out of his league like landed in the family is like hey you want to play some board games with me that they can actually enjoy this game so like i don't know if there's a lot that needs to be said about tickets right it's kind of just like one of those like you know legacy games that they've sold millions of copies yeah. and, and a lot of people know it but it's definitely on the list of have you played games? No, I'd love to learn games. Have you heard of Ticket to Ride? If it's like a no, it's like a, I can teach you that, no problem. I played thing. Ticket to Ride for the first time this year at your place. <sighs> I know, it took a while, but I finally taught. Yeah. I, we, we regressed Joe to teach him, and then <laughs> we brought him back forward. So. I'm not the biggest fan of Ticket to Ride. I and think that, it's fine. It's Yep, and that's fun. okay. And, and, and like... That could be replaced by, I think, Catan is another popular one. And I'm not a fan of Catan. I haven't played Catan in years. You know, and, and so I think there's a lot that fits into this category of kind of like 
any game could go if you're just trying to teach someone. But this is the one I like and own, and this is the one that I don't really get sick of if I have to teach someone. But like Catan, it's like I feel like I'm just banging my head against the wall eventually. And and Catan so. for me is frustrating because it feels like there's a lot of luck involved. Like if you don't, uh, yeah. yeah, poor luck. If I remember the mechanics, right, like getting the number, like a highly frequently rolled number, like you just got to hosed and yeah. that's yeah. not a lot of fun. It's a lot yeah. of randomness to it. Yep. But I don't think there's really a bad game if, if you're getting into someone into the hobby to go with. But this is just kind of one on my list that I don't really ever get rid of because it's easy to teach. Well, and I think the other thing about Ticket to Ride is that people understand what trains are and what like right. kind of like the railroad boom in the 1800s was like. And so right. you you understand that. You know, because you have that basic understanding of history, probably. Uh, and so it, it's easy to grasp what you're trying to do in that. I introduced my nephew to board gaming through Ticket to Ride. He did not understand history. He was like uh, six when I... <laughs> well, okay, well, see you there, there, there. There's your problem. <laughs> but for the most part, it still works as a great introduction game to some of that, you know, hand management, things like that. They only so. teach you about the Underground Railroad at six. It's once you get to eight or nine that you learn about the actual, like, railroad building. Yeah, he got there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would love it now, maybe. Actually, he'd probably hate it now. No, he doesn't still like it. Oh, okay. Yeah, he likes Downforce more. Downforce is great. I oh, love that game. Joe, actually, uh, I bought all of Downforce. Oh, did you from, now? From the game weekend, actually. Oh, I nice. have it as well. I love that game as well. It's very so, fun. I know. Well, is it on your list? Is it not on your list? I don't it's, know. It's not here for uh, teaching, but uh, it's definitely one for playing. It's definitely fun. So, let's see here. Number three. I would honestly argue anyone wrong for teaching a better deck builder than Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Unless, I will say Ascension. Unless you are completely opposed to the Harry Potter world. And the reason for it is the game literally walks you through the years of school, adding complexity to the game. So in terms of teaching a newcomer, this is literally like, here is literally how you lay down a card and then pay for a card and then you put it in your deck and this is what it means by deck cycling. That is year one. And as you go through, by the time you hit year seven, you've got Horcruxes you're killing. You're fighting Death Eaters before getting to Lord Voldemort. You're, you have dice you're rolling. You're learning more advanced spells. Each character has leveled up in their selves and have unique abilities. And they have um, like specialized schools that they're learning. So they have like a dark arts like special ability. And, and it does such a good job of progressing someone through what here's a very basic understanding of what a deck builder is and here's what a deck builder can be. And then they've added expansions now too that add like potions and also then like creatures to just make it even more crazy. But like I could hand this game to someone who's never played a game and not have to teach it myself. I, I can literally be like, start at year one. Good luck. Well, there you go, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> you go from Casey to Wilson in one playthrough. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's good. I mean, there's other deck builders you can obviously teach people, but I think this is like such a, like it does such a good job of introducing someone to it that we introduce it to actually my sister, who was a big Harry Potter fan early, really before she was understanding a whole lot of stuff. Cause it's also co-op. So that way, you know, like in dominion and stuff where you're building decks or clank, I like clank a lot too. Well, let me put this to you. It sounds very onboard friendly at the beginning. At year one, it sounds very easy. Yep. It sounds very complex at the end. 
for a new player coming in for the first time, are they really going to grasp those last few years? Are you, as the experienced player, going to be saying, well, just roll those dice. This is what this means. All right, then play this card. This is what this means. Like, yep. Is there going to be agency from those new players towards the end of the first game? Well, see, this is the thing, though, is like year one is a full game in itself. For someone like me, it's very mundane. Like I don't have to think about it at all playing. But that person who's learning is taking that you know, 30 minutes that we're spending in year one to learn it. And then, you know, if you're playing with your kids or whoever you're teaching and you're done at year one, you pack it up. And then, you know what, next Tuesday, when we have game night again, we're going to do year two. And then they're looking forward to year two and year two. It's like, now we're adding more of this and the progression slowly goes to the point of the point is like, you play a game in year one, you are year one. That is the game itself. And I misunderstood you. I thought you played from year one through year 12, all yep. in one playthrough. No. And so it sounded like a wild progression. For yeah. No, no, no. It's like you play year one, and then if you beat year one, you can go on to year two. That's kind of how they set it up. So I know for a while when we were teaching my sister, I think we got stuck on year three or four. And we didn't move on until she understood. Like, And we didn't, we didn't like quarterback her. We didn't say, oh, you're doing that inefficient. We let her learn. And that's, I think, the beauty of this game is if you really want to teach someone, like you know, your kids or like niece and nephew or whoever, or just someone who just doesn't get games very well or fast or clicks with it. Like this is a great game because it's like, okay, we're stuck on year three because we can't beat it. But slowly, like you can see the gears turning in people's heads with it. And then eventually you get to that year seven and it's so satisfying. You get to someone there. Cause they're like, remember when we played year one and it was like nothing. And now look at us. And then when <laughs> you beat year seven, cause it is honestly very hard to even beat year seven. It's so satisfying for that person who started at, like, year one, and they've progressed. And it's like, you know, school, when you are you graduate, you're like, oh, my gosh, look at what I did. Oh. It's like that in board game terms, right? Like, look at what I did. I, I killed Voldemort. Woo! You know, so it's, it's fun that way. So That sounds cool. Yeah, so number two, Gizmos. Gizmos I picked for my engine building game. Um, I and- disagree, Scythe. <laughs> Gizmos has one engine build that, like, you have one engine you're working on. Does it have cool mechs? It has balls. <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking top language now. <laughs> it has it has my balls in it. So. All right, okay. Uh, now I'm now I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have so my attention. It, it's it it's kind of gimmicky. Um, so there's like this contraption that holds marbles and it sh- sends it down to shoot. So you have like those five colors to choose from and it's kind of color based. So you have colored balls and there are blue balls. Uh, so there, that's a thing. Um, but it really actually I still have <laughs> balls. Yeah. So there's balls. Um, but yeah, no, it does a really good job of teaching, like teaching someone the concept of an engine builder. I'm okay. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Um, and and it has these fun little gizmos, and, and it'd be fun. Like, you can definitely, like, the theme is strikes with, like, kids and also adults. And, and it's very just, it's like, there's three different levels of complexity of gizmo, and then you have, like, four actions. So it's a very watered-down engine builder. And I start here with engine building, and I'm going to ruin Burns's rebuttal here because... I used this first, and then if they're like, oh my gosh, this was fun. I loved this engine building thing. Then you play Scythe? No, then I then I say, well, let me show you Wingspan. So, like, the thing I would argue against that is, and, and, and I don't know that you've ever played with the quick start, this quick start set that they have for Wingspan, 
Um, but I think that's the really interesting thing about Wingspan is that it basically you buy 10 cards and like a little bit of a rule book that goes with it that basically leads up to five players through like your four, first like round of Wingspan. And it, it, to the point of like it explains, all right, you start with these cards. Um, you're going to play this on the first turn. And you're going to play it in this area. And it teaches each person as you go through, as well as then everybody, about everything about the game as you play through, like, the first couple of turns. And there's a couple of spots within those turns. There's a couple of spots within those turns where, like, they have to make their own decision a little bit. Because you don't know what random card you're going to get when you draw that off the deck. But it, 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 it sort of builds that understanding. And I played that with... My mom, my sister, and her two kids uh, that were at the time 13 and 11. And it did a phenomenal job of teaching all of them how to play the game and how it worked. And they were like bought in once we got done with that to go through and really get into the heart of the stuff that like really like you get, gets really crunchy when you're starting to figure out how I'm going to put these things together and how this builds off of this. Uh, and so I, I think like that. I would be fine with still teaching people how engine builders work with Wingspan, but I haven't played Gizmos either, so I can't necessarily say that I would prefer it over that because I don't have the comparison. Well, I think this is a fascinating argument because I'm not... I agree with Brins that that's a great way to onboard people, and I think that game-to-game, -game, Wingspan is going to be more fun than Gizmos just because Wingspan oh, is more a, fun it's 100%. than it's most 100%, games. Yeah. But it's interesting... It feels like the onboarding experience might be more fun with Gizmos, even though the tutorial and Wingspan will walk you through the first couple turns and get you set up to play. Like, it's still very much on guardrails, and I understand that that's yeah. how you teach, but I kind of like the approach of playing a full game to, like, learn it and experience and be like, oh, that's a fun thing. Let's move on to Scythe now. And the other and the other, the other, other reason I lean towards Gizmos is Wingspan. I mean, it's rated the number one family game on BGG. So it's like, there's definitely some like art, like, mm -hmm. you know, meet to Joe's argument there, but you're managing three engines. And that's yeah. my kicker is that can lock someone up so hard. Like, well, do I draw? Do I lay cards? Or, like, do yeah. I do a bird? Like, what do I do after that intro scenario? Or like, or they get in a rut where they're only focusing on one engine or something like that, and it's not working very well. You can do that, like have a single engine that works well. But that's why I lean towards Gizmos is the single engine teaching them the mechanics of engine building. And honestly, I would not. If someone's like, can you teach me this game? I wouldn't be like, well, let me teach you Gizmos first. And then we'll <laughs> I would still be like, yes, for sure. But yeah, I, I agree. Like it's that, you can, I don't think you can go wrong with either of them. But. Another benefit of Gizmos, you don't have to explain why the game about birds is fun. Right. Just balls. Yeah, everyone yeah. loves balls, right? Yeah. Birds, balls. you love balls. Balls are better than birds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Patrick now, balls, balls and birds. Oh, man, now that is an expansion for Wingspan. <laughs> yeah. So we've had the Oceania birds, the European birds, now it's the balls and birds yeah. uh, expansion of, uh, of Wingspan. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, I'm going to move on to the honorable mention, if that's okay with you guys. Sure. So my honorable mention is kind of in the genre of like your epic adventure dungeon crawl tabletop rpg and why i put this as an honorable mention is i feel like if someone wants to play this type of game they have gaming experience they've played DD in the past or they know about DD or they've watched pot like they have some vein that's leading them towards i want to learn a dungeon crawl-esque game 
Um, and the reason why I, I guess the game is Hexplore It. Mm -hmm. um, the Valley of the Dead King Volume 1 is where I would start with someone. Um, that is the first volume that came out uh, in the theme of Hex. There will be six volumes eventually. They have three out currently. I have all three. Um, but why I think this is better is it's co-op. And this, like, is the D&D &D game of board gaming. You are a party. Um, at this point, there's, like, yes. I would say that the D&D &D board games are the D&D &D of board games. And I think <laughs> if you played this, you would probably actually say, I think D&D &D needs to reconsider how they're doing the D&D &D games. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it, I'm, I haven't played the D&D &D games a whole lot. I've looked into them a little bit, but honestly, it's like, I just am like, well, I'm just going to play Export instead. I mean, the possibilities throughout the volumes of what you're doing, and basically what the volumes do is, the different volumes are just different bosses that you're fighting. Okay. And it changes mechanics slightly. So volume one, it's the most basic scenario. You got Valley of the Dead King, and you're running around, and the Dead King's trying to destroy your cities, and so you're trying to save the cities or rebuild them while he's destroying them, because as soon as he destroys all the cities, he goes for you. But in the meantime, you're trying to level up and get yourself better. And there's, like... A whole bunch of character combinations, and I'll tell you about that more later. Because are you saying that there is a version, a volume of this game that is being crowdfunded this year and is expected to come out in 2022? Potentially. Oh man, I can't wait. I know. So it's it's a lot of fun, and I think the great thing about this is you have character development where you are building your character, but you have two skills that are the same across all people. You have a basic attack, you have a basic block. Then you all have two specialties and then um you have all the same like three stats of like travel and like uh, exploring and there's one more and i'm totally forget luck there it is and so you have those three different stats but like ultimately the only difference in a very basic game is two skills that someone else has to learn and then their their um, racial ability that they have so there's three things you need to teach someone different than you but you're journeying through the world of explore it together and you're making like literally D, &D campaign-esque decisions on okay we have six missions we have a bounty to go kill a boss that we're clearly not strong enough for uh we can go help this merchant get from point a to point b or we can go explore this like cave system so what do you guys want to do and like they do just <laughs> the guy is actually a designer from wisconsin he does a fantastic job of designing the game so is is it like over multiple sessions? So like each session would be one mission. Is that how that works? Or is this like you play all of that in like a two hour, so three hour chunk? The game is on, according to the box, it's three hours long. It's 180 minutes game time. Okay. You can speed that up and you can also extend it. Okay. There are so many levers to pull and push and twist to, to change, to make it the game you want it to make, just like D&D &D would be. If you want a campaign that lasts two sessions because you want to be done and you want to be mm -hmm. from you want to be levels one through ten in session one in four hours and then you want to be ten through twenty and in, in the sec next one and you kill the bad guy and then start over you can do that. You want to make the game last six to eight hours. You can do that. You want the game to you want to mix volume one and two and have the bosses battling while you're trying to level and then the boss also gets stronger if they win like against the other boss. You can actually mix two of the volumes together and have the bosses battling leveling <laughs> while you're leveling as well. Extending it to yeah. astronomical amounts of hours. Burns, were you aware of Hexplored prior to this show? 
Uh, Adam's mentioned it to me a few times. Um, I, I haven't am, played it yet, though. I was not at all. Like, I am fascinated by this concept. Did we do the wrong show this year focusing on D&D board games? <laughs> yes. No. No. Yes. <laughs> no, because it's it's it, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And then Fair now you, if you we do, do a Hexplorit show, then we can compare it to the D&D board games. But I literally just bought three more D&D board games <laughs> because they're on sale. That's on you, Tom. <laughs> That's on you. And they're on sale, so, what, what, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, all right. It wasn't that much of an investment. Tom, I did like the game. I bought Hexplorit. Explore it to bring over to your house to play with you. Well, awesome. Let's be friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it sounds awesome, and I really, really, really want to play Explore it. Yeah. So, and that's the honorable mention. I feel like I've talked about it the most, and I'm do, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna stop there. Um, I'll go to number one, and my number one because it's one of my favorite mechanics worker placement is Everdell. Everdell is a cutesy creature. Uh, you're building up your little forest town with squirrels and raccoons and um sticks and berries and it's just this really fun cutesy worker placement that is simple at its core and you can teach a lot of people it and it's got this big gimmick of this huge tree that you have to build and you have cards up on it and you have actual berries and sticks that you're collecting for the resources to but it's easy enough that you can teach someone and then you can take out the mean cards where you can actually place other cards in people's towns that just take up space and are negative points. Um, and then once they've learned how to build their little creature towns, then they can learn the combos and, and there's ways you can play on other people's cards and stuff. So you can ramp up the complexity. So I feel like it's a really good modern worker placement game that you can teach people at a very basic level. And then they have now, so the base game was just like the forest and the tree. So now they have a river and a mountain and they just came out the um, like complete series set collection bundle thing all in one big box that you can have the whole world in your hands, basically. Um, so is there a bear module that will eat your sticks if you don't like watch out for it while it prepares for hibernation? No. Bears don't eat sticks, dude. Bear, bears eat sticks before they hibernate because it creates the plug that makes it so that there's, they don't have to no, no, the, defecate while they that, hibernate. So then I guess it is kind of, there's a, a bear um, in the woods uh, module just for Joe though. Okay. Yeah. Because I was wondering, and this is before Dr. Camille or some of the other medical professionals out there, I have a long day of traveling coming up. Should I eat a bunch of sticks before that to create the plug so that then I don't have to go to the bathroom until I get to my destination? Well, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to go ahead and say yes. <laughs> We can uh, just go break some branches off my Christmas tree. You can start there, my friend, <laughs> with your winter fresh plug. <laughs> well, that's, that is my five games that I like to teach people and onboard them to different mechanics and try to teach them more, to show them more than board gaming is more than rolling dice and buying properties in Monopoly, that there are like other things and concepts behind it, and people are really trying to be innovative in the industry, and, and it's something that you can spend a lot of good quality time with friends and family. So that's a great list, and that is so elegantly stated. I, I feel like you don't belong on this show. <laughs> Adam, you want to talk about some balls? <laughs> hey, I was with you there five minutes ago. <laughs> no, it's a great list. I've actually bought Everdell for my wife for her birthday this year, but we haven't brought it to the table yet. We bought Everdell. I got her Everdell and Parks at the same time. We played Parks. Haven't gotten around to Everdell yet because now two babies, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Takes time. I understand yeah. half of that problem. <laughs> you sure do. <laughs> the one one thing I wanted to mention with this is, uh, and I know I think we've talked about it on a couple of episodes of whatever uh, over the time, but like Jaws of the Lion, 
Um, specifically, I think, I mean, it, it could teach you how a dungeon crawler works, but basically it's for teaching you how to play Gloomhaven. Yes. Um, like, if anybody's interested in Gloomhaven, I would highly recommend your starting points, Jaws of the Lion. $50 mm-hmm. box. I'm sure you can find it on sale now, too. Um, you can find it at Target. Probably lots of other, like, big box stores now. Um, and it basically the first five scenarios can lead you through teaching you how the game works and slowly give you everything so you don't need me to be your Sherpa through <laughs> the first, you know, how many sessions of Gloomhaven <laughs> to I learn like, all the rules. But I like having you there, Burns. You're oh. kind of like my security blanket. Oh, and I like being there, too. Aw. Yeah. We should be friends. Yeah. Like, uh, top 15 friends. Tough. <laughs> He's just looking for the next step. Yeah, and now it's just, the reason why I haven't had my fantasy football league for the last two seasons is I don't want you to understand that you're you're possibly in the group now. Oh, so man. I'm just because I was going to ask you to be in the league, but now I'm just not having it out of spite. <laughs> so you're saying I ruined the fun for everybody? No, no, it's more so I just didn't want to do the work. Ruin the fun for everyone. Yes, <laughs> noted fun ruiner. Uh, just a couple that I want to mention real quickly. One of my favorite games for just onboarding new people to the hobby altogether is Forgotten Desert. It's a co-op game where you're uh, trying to mitigate the dangers of a desert, find your uh, flying ship, put it back together, and escape with your lives. Uh, Quarriers, we've talked about that on the show a bunch of times. It is a dice-building game where you recruit different monsters and spells. Uh, not super new player friendly, but... I love it, and it's something that I often share with new people just so I can, you know, wipe the floor with them. <laughs> like viticulture. It's your yeah. power fantasy. Exactly. Yeah, get that uh, high-powered dragon or wizard and just go to town. Uh, I wanted to mention Parks. It is the best hiking onboarding game. <laughs> so it, it, <laughs> can't argue that it, one. Pre- it prepares your mind for hiking. It doesn't do anything to prepare your body for hiking, though, right? Correct. Yeah. Like, okay. like... It, like, if you play that and then you're like, I'm going on a 20-mile hike tomorrow, uh, you're probably still going to chafe, right? And you're not going to have the right boots. You probably won't come back. <laughs> it depends on how many sticks you eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> prior, prior. <laughs> and uh, Thanos Rising is a really fun Marvel-skinned uh, dice game. You're rolling dice. You're recruiting new heroes out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, it's a nice way to introduce anyone with a Marvel familiarity to kind of a dice-building type game. And the lift on learning how to play it is not very heavy, so that's nice. What did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at Tom Sidlachuk OIO. Adam, you want to give your handle one more time? Ox's Auditorium. And forget Burns, because he didn't contribute anything. <laughs> And because he hates me, but fiery fans. If, if you have any questions about Gloomhaven at Hobby Box Burns on Twitter, yeah, you should stream Gloomhaven. That'd be great. Actually, I did stream the I, I streamed the video game version of it once. Mm-hmm. It was when I was still streaming on my laptop. It was kind of a hot mess. It the it literally my <laughs> my stream video was at seven frames per minute. It like only showed seven frames of the gameplay over a minute's time frame and my laptop was like molten hot by the time I stopped. <laughs> Sounds like a great stream. Were you in the hot tub for that one? No, no it felt like I was in a sauna, so it helped. <laughs> <laughs> it was about the same thing. Yeah. We're going to move on with a new segment to the show. I am excited to welcome in a new guest to the show. We are going to have a recurring segment all this year. We are bringing in a doctor, Dr. Kelsey Camille from Premier Health in Coon Rapids is here to join us. And today we're going to discuss headaches, a common problem for gamers. 
Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. So, what is causing gamers to have headaches? Is it us just sitting still for hours on end, staring at our 60-plus-inch TVs without moving and without any sort of nourishment or hydration? One of the many things. Um, there are a few main causes that are main triggers for uh gamers to have headaches and one of them is going to be if you're really close to your screen and you've got the blue um, light coming through your screen and you don't have your blue light filter on getting a blue light filter glass or glasses can be really helpful um, but the other really big one is actually going to be coming from tension in your neck um, so going through various stretches uh, just even in the the soft tissue and the muscles of the neck can be extraordinarily helpful because all of those muscles that are holding your head up when we're holding our heads forward as we're obviously getting into our games because we're going to kill everything in front of the screen. Um, we have to be in the zone. Absolutely. Those are going to be the muscles that are attaching to the base of our skull, which is where most of us tend to feel those headaches starting to kind of creep in and coming up and around, usually you know behind the eyes, up and around the forehead. Um, and so we actually have a link that, Tom, you can share um, that's going to have some of our favorite stretches to be um, doing for um, any sort of headache, any sort of neck tension, um, as well as even just including ice at the base of the skull to help take any of that extra swelling down. Um, but those are some of the most common reasons that we're going to be getting headaches as we're playing our games, whether it's on a screen in front of the TV or at a table with our friends. And even going beyond gaming, this affects pretty much everyone in adult life, right? Because we all just sit at our desks, stare at our computer screens all day long. So this is really just global advice that anyone can take advantage of. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing to note with headaches um, is the frequency that is considered within normal limits. Oftentimes people feel like headaches every other day or even every other week is considered kind of, you know, not that bad. But really headaches more than one to two times per month outside of, you know, having a really good time on a Friday night uh, is really considered not within a normal limit. Um, so anything beyond that is really worth your time to get checked out. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Camille. It's awesome having you here. You can check out Dr. Camille's website at premierhealthmn.com and stop by for an appointment. Sounds wonderful. Thank you. For our final segment today, we're going to talk about the games that are coming out this year. A new year usually brings a bevy of new games into our lives. Is that the case in this age of supply chain disruption? Are games actually going to come out this year? Adam, what's happening with the board game industry? Oh, this is a hard topic just because of the depth of the complexity of all the issues that are going on <laughs> with the world. That sounds like no games are coming out ever again. Right, exactly. Um, I did a, the best job I could trying to grab a high level mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm going to summarize here for a little bit, and I, I think Joel's got a couple yeah. uh, inserts here and there. And um, I did no research whatsoever. I just assumed no games are coming out. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you really want to dive in, there's a lot of people that have covered this, and I know there's like YouTube channels that have covered it and like really gone and sp spoke to publishers, and I know... Um, like uh, Skybound Games, they're, uh, I'm James Hudson, there we go. He did a big thing on it. He's very mm -hmm. open about, like, and honest about, like, the world of publishing and designing games and the struggles you have. And, and, and ultimately, it comes down to no one really designs a game to be rich. You're, like, that is a very small population. Uh, Gloomhaven is, like, an exception, I feel uh -huh. like. Yeah. Um, most people don't hit those kind of numbers. Um, 
so really what's what's happening in the world of board gaming is production costs are skyrocketing um specifically with shipping and what can be confusing is um a little bit of a breakdown is the shipping cost you see like on a crowdfunding game is not actually to get the freight to your country uh that's in the production costs so that's where a little bit of confusion comes into play um publishers are reporting an increase of freight um from 100 to 600 percent increases yeah i work in the medical supply industry now and like our freight costs are four to five hundred percent higher than they were a year ago and it's funny because like and freight costs before still weren't cheap like i had a friend that worked for a company in duluth that was a startup and to save on freight when they quit using one supplier and changed to another one that was up here in minnesota his company actually hired me to get a U-Haul, fill it up with their supplies, and drive it back to Minnesota from Texas one time when I came back up. And they paid for my trip up, and that saved them like a boatload of money compared to what it would have cost to actually freight ship it there. So to think that everything has gone up like 600% that cost, like that's that's just insanity to me. It's nuts. Yep, yep. So, and then... um Joe, I don't yeah, no. So, here, but... and th- like, on top of that, then, like, the cost to get things from China was expensive. Yeah. But then, on top of that, there was a paper shortage in China for the long, or for like the last that I think they're finally starting to get out of. But that set back a lot of like board game production for a long time, um, or card game production too, because they just weren't getting enough paper into the factories to print things out for either the paper or the cardboard resources that they needed. Uh, and so that led to a backlog. Um, and then when, you know, you get your quote for your game, but they can't print it on paper. And then finally, in six months, they have the paper to be able to print your run. But your shipping costs, your freight costs have gone up 500% since then. You know, you're sitting there and you're like, well, how do we cover this cost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like one of the other things that like leads to that exacerbation where you have usually a tight margin like you were right. talking about. And now it's like completely out the window because of things that are outside of your control, right? Um, which is which is crazy. And if you try to pass that cost forward onto the consumers, then you have an uprising on yes. your hands, and people are crazy. It, it's a no-win situation. Yep. It feels like with board game production right now, for for the most part. But um, just kind of touching on that point about pushing costs to consumers, mm-hmm. there's actually been a movement with understanding how many like different angles the board game community is being hit from. Yeah, this. Um, issue a lot of companies have said look we don't want to but here's our tail between our legs can we have 15 dollars? can we have 10 dollars? some of them mm-hmm. do different things uprising was actually one of them just to kind of circle back they made four promo cards i think it was four or six where a little over costed right you paid 25 dollars for four promo cards but you knew that was actually going to help the freight costs and they were a small publisher like they are a first time designer and publisher they're a new startup company and i honestly like really love this game so i had no problem spending 25 dollars on four pieces of cardboard to support them i would have given them 25 dollars without the promos Mm -hmm. so that's where companies are trying to be like okay here's our hail mary we'll try to scratch your back a little bit but ultimately you'll be scratching ours well it's a big difference between a legitimate like cost increase that the distributor or the publisher is facing and just an opportunistic price increase because 
nobody can buy board games, so I'm going to jack up the price in Gloomhaven by $100 because no one can buy anything else right now. It's a huge, huge difference. Right, exactly. And and kind of on that point, too, a lot of companies, designers, publishers, don't make money till the second or third printing of their games is mm-hmm. kind of the average stat there. Um, so the margins are not the greatest on board games. Um, as I mentioned before, freight is also different from shipping. So the shipping you see is actually just having the U.S. Postal Service or FedEx or UPS deliver it from when it's in the U.S. to your house, mm-hmm. not actually the cost of getting that container over. Um, and then that's kind of led to issues with crowdfunding for like the quoted costs. So a game that yeah. was I kickstarted two years ago that they're like, well, great now we have to ship it in this time because it took two years to design it because we're actually using this as a Mm -hmm. startup way to get into the industry are now having to have those issues of well we quoted quoted you for like 25 dollars shipping or in some cases free shipping that's you know changed a lot too yeah because there there was a time where with kickstarter like a lot of times if you were in the u.s and the creator was in the u.s like your shipping was covered because there was enough of a margin on it and they're doing, like, if they hit, like, certain numbers, it would work out to just cover the shipping costs. Um, and that's unheard of now. Like, I don't know that I've seen anything in the last two years where it's, like, shipping's included. Like, shipping has to be drawn out now because the margins are so razor thin, like, everywhere else. Um, and, and the costs are just, like, so hard to predict, I think, too, now. Yep. A great example is um, Eclipse 2nd Edition, which is a big, uh, so, I, I don't know, I think I talked about Twilight Imperium, which is a big 4X crunchy game it's me right um eclipse is kind of like the light version of that but people say the new edition is like so good um that i i actually regret not backing the kickstarter because i i actually ended up paying for it because the kickstarter i believe was 99 dollars at the time and i paid 165 to get it that's that's like just an example of Mm -hmm. one board game's cost that if i would have kickstarted two years ago and got it i would have got it for 99 dollars plus I think maybe twenty dollars shipping, yeah. nothing too crazy, and I had to pay for the retail pledge at a hundred and basically seventy dollars. Yeah. So, do you guys believe that board game companies should discount games when they're being crowdfunded? I know that is a tenet of Stone Buyers that he believes that there should be some discount or some tangible benefit for actually pledging a game early. They okay. This is a loaded question, and we could spend a whole time on it. <laughs> they're, they're, they technically do discount them a lot. The problem you have are the big companies the online retailers that all of their stuff is automatically discounted at 30 percent so like you have the small-time publishers like if they're selling it on their website it's going to sell it for 100 bucks but i can go to some of these online retailers and buy it for 70 dollars, and then oh if i add another game for 30 bucks and it's 100 bucks i get free shipping mm-hmm. you know so that's the problem that they're running into is you know i think the mentality of kickstarter is really gone like 2020 on us where people forget what the origin of it was is Mm -hmm. is you believe in something that you want to see in this world and i think uh uprising really put that back into perspective of me not i'm pre-ordering a game i'm helping create a game um and so i think that's like a good example of there's companies who don't need kickstarter and still use it and then there's companies that really do um, so mm-hmm. I think there, that's a whole topic we could yeah. spend another two hours on. But um, Well, once again, very elegantly stated. <laughs> After our show last year, I have never kickstarted a game. After our show last year, I did look into it a couple of times in this calendar year, and I just couldn't find anything at what I felt like was an appropriate price point. Like, I'm very I'm very stuck on, here's my money, give me my game. Mm-hmm. Like, I very much like that retail experience. For one of the games we're going to talk about, 
uh, The Witcher Old World. Yeah. Uh, I contemplated backing that, but I'm like, it's retail price for a game. I'm just going to yeah. wait until it's in the store. Maybe Burns will buy it, and I just play it that way. But, like, I just, for me, I need that discount. Like, that is the only way that I'm honestly going to kickstart anything is if I see, like, a cost reduction yeah. because I am, I want to support the industry. I want to help create things that I believe in, but I am just, I am very tight with my money. Like, I'm very yeah. conservative with my resources. So I, unless there is a financial reason or like some pack-in reason yeah. for me to kickstart a game i'm just i don't see it happening for yeah me. And, well, and, and, and that money is tied up for lord knows how long year, it'll two take years. for you to get this i've out. had a huge turn for three years me. yeah three years yeah. delays will be happening right now too mm-hmm. right like there's a shipping shortage or a container shortage yeah and then <laughs> when things get on containers they get backed up at ports waiting to be processed by customs yep and we still have a pandemic going on right yep. there's still issues that are coming in new things people are adapting to and then the thing that was the bane even before COVID hit was the Chinese New Year shuts down board game production for a month almost. Yeah. And then COVID, when it first hit, actually extended further because I think a lot of factories couldn't even allow people to come back after Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, we're shut down for two months or three months or whatever yeah. it is. Or, or we have 30% of our workforce back now at two months. So that's been a hit too. And that was a hit prior to COVID that companies had to try to plan around. So, you know, yeah. Crowdfunding is you have to be passionate for that project or patient, I think, are the two options you have. If not, just wait for retail or buy what's there now. And at least one of those things I rate very low on this (laughs) game. So, like, one interesting just experience that I've had is uh, there was a miniatures-only Kickstarter that I backed for, it was, gosh, it's like 240-some miniatures. And it was, I think my pledge was $100. Yep, idiot one, idiot two. Yeah, we backed the same one. Yeah, yeah, fantasy miniatures one from Black uh, Blacklist Games, and uh, the so to diagram how weird shipping is right now. People in Europe and Asia have had their miniatures for like nine months now at this point, and they still haven't they have they still haven't actually started the shipping process from the. Uh, logistics company that's managing it in the United States because for some reason they couldn't get the containers onto boats in China for like months. And then when they finally got on boats to China or in China and they got here, they were backed up in the port to get off of the boats for months. And then now that it's finally off there, there's some other reason that they haven't said yet that it's just sitting at the logistics company and they haven't started processing yet. And uh, well, we in, don't in, know in how there, long it's going to take. In, in between there, apparently, according to them, there was some sort of threshold they had to hit, I yeah. think, for them to start, like, ad, like delivering the product. Uh-huh. And we're like, oh, we've hit three of seven containers. Great. Two oh, months yes. later. We've hit four of seven containers. Great. Another month later. We're at five of seven containers Which there. was the threshold, but then... The one that came in was the add-ons. Right, the wrong container And there wasn't up. enough to actually start fulfilling it until all seven of the containers came in. It was it was such a crazy, wonky thing. Yeah, and, and there's so many theories of, like, what's oh, what on. actually is going on. Yeah. Is there now a huge holding fee because the containers have been sitting there for... A year, basically. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and that like has just been an evidence to like how we started this conversation off. Like, I'm surprised anything got out this year. 
Like, I'm surprised that any game got delivered in 2021 because of all of these things that happened. It's like a small miracle that any of that actually occurred. We're going to get to the games that are coming out this year in just a moment. One last question for you guys. What would it take for some of these games to start being manufactured domestically? Like, would you pay $150 for a game that you're accustomed to paying $100 for to have it made in the U.S. and in your hands within, I don't know, a year and a half of kickstarting it? So I think the problem is, is that that wouldn't be the price difference. If a $100 game that would have been made in China, it would probably be like 300 350 if you made it in the United States. And the problem that they have is that there aren't companies that do things with all of the materials that you need for board games like in the United States. Like the closest you have are like your game crafters or services like that. But that's only used for printing prototypes because the workforce is just way too expensive in the United States. And, and the resources aren't as readily available, so they're not as cheap. And so you're paying that much more. You're paying more of a premium in order to actually create that entire product here, especially if you're looking at it on the levels of thousands of copies of a board game. So if I can summarize your thoughts, Burns, you're saying that as board game enthusiasts, we are human rights violators? Not necessarily, so that's like the big question, right? I mean, out of sight, out of mind. If the if the cost of living, <laughs> if the cost of living in a country is less, then like wages don't necessarily need to be more, and so that's part of it as well, right? Now, granted, like what happens in China, I don't know all of the things that happen in China. It doesn't seem like it's 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 you know all hunky dory. Does there anyone know everything that happens in China? Uh, well, there's people that know, but you know they don't want us to know what exactly everything's happening there. Or, or don't let the people that know talk about it because if they do, they vanish. Um, but yeah, so we're not going to say any more. So I, so this podcast doesn't get shut down. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you ever have hits on your website from China? I guess that's a good question to ask before we continue. Uh, probably not a lot. Okay, okay, okay good, good. Also, you've become remarkably good at deflecting Tom. Like it's almost no fun talking to you anymore. <laughs> oh man, I apologize. Oh. <laughs> Well, hopefully some games do come out this year. Let's talk about some of the titles we are excited for. You guys ready to talk about some board games? Mm, not really, actually. Oh. All right, everybody go home. Show's over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tuckered out. Thanks yeah. for subscribing to OIO. Give Tom more money, please. <laughs> We're holding the rest of this episode right so Until we get 30 patrons and $300. So it doesn't take much for Joe and I to start talking about board games, I feel like. <laughs> no, no. So, Well, why don't we talk about Hoplomachus Victorum. This game... I know, I nailed it on the first try. I'm so proud of myself. Well, second try. I mean, I'm still surprised that you didn't get the name exactly right, but that you got all of the words right for Cedars. You had them in the wrong order. You did a really good... I was like, wow. Well, in his defense, it's French. That is true. That is true. Yeah. But it's like, I, he, he got all the words. They yeah. were they were mixed up in the order, but yeah. it was great. Yeah. 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 Having all the words is good enough. That is one of the most popular pieces of content on Outside is Overrated. Um. Gl- yeah, glad glad I could help with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I wish it had been something I wrote, maybe one of my columns, but, you know, <laughs> just happy people came to the site. Well, I, I still have actually connections to the publisher, so I know the expansions are hitting in Europe right now, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping I can get some more content out about that and maybe uh, pull a couple strings for us yeah. that we could get some of the expansions early. So it's definitely still a great game, but that's a segue, sorry. Games this year. Games this year. Hoplo Marcus Victorum. This game places you in a gladiator school. It is a solo game. It is an RPG slash dungeon crawl with arena combat, 
storytelling, and a final boss battle. Adam, you back this game on Kickstarter. Why don't you tell us why you're excited about this solo gladiator school experience? You love gladiators, dude. Oh my god, I do actually. It's it's like a childhood thing. It's kind of like that nostalgia. Um, and actually, this game is the fruition of it, right? Like, so, so are you done with board games after Hoplomachus Victorum? <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's another addiction I have. Um, but this is a chip theory game, so I, I'm a chip theory fanboy. I think you can label me at this point. This this game also made me one of their strategists. Um, so to c- explain what that is, I paid a lot of money up front, and now I get a base game of a, a copy of the base game of all the games they come out with from now until they decide that strategists are no longer relevant. Were you a strategist for this game specifically, or was it from a past chip theory game? No, I got it on this this Kickstarter. So they had a little bit of snafu, and it actually thematically worked out great for them, I think. Um, so they normally only have 10 strategists per crowdfunding campaign that get through. They forgot to cap it on this one. By the time they realized the whoops, they kept it at 300 Wow. So we call us the CTG 300 on our Discord <laughs> channel. And Which works for the Gladiator. It works perfect for the Gladiator, and there's a lot of jokes <laughs> and a lot of memes that happen in that Discord channel. And, um, yeah, so we kind of are like the CTG 300. Basically, yeah. if the company's ever, you know, on the rocks, yeah. uh, we're called to arms. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the uh, implied theory there. I was actually technically 30. Um, and kind of just to show the fan base of board games... I would say most of the people that were above 10, including myself, reached out to Chip Theory and said, you know what, if this is going to break your company, take my strategist pledge back. I'll still pledge your game and we can all try again next time. And they, you know, took one for the team. They said, nope, we actually have always kind of wanted to see how popular this would be. They <laughs> thought about capping it at 30, a couple hundred, leaving it unlimited to see how many would happen. Um, and I think this told them enough that they are still wanted as a company that they're leaving it now. So, so now I think total, there's about 416. Oh, wow. Um, just as a disclosure, I paid $650 for my pledge. Right. Um, when they first launched it, I believe the pledge for strategist was $125. Oh, jeez. Whoa. So think of the people who got in yeah. and, and the crazy thing is their, their first game was Hoplomachus. Okay. So not to confuse this with the new one. They did a remastered version of Hoplomachus. Victorum was their new, like, child, per se, that they're like, here's the refined version that we always wanted. Now that we're a well-established company, that we have procedures down, we're making good games. Um, And Victorum is a solo only. There is no option to play with anyone else. You have to be a loser like me to buy this (laughs) game, to sit in your basement by yourself and be like, I am building my gladiator school. Now, you are on the Outside is Overrated podcast. We are not going to call anyone a loser for having any level of passion for any indoorsy gaming or nerd pop culture obsession if you want to play solo board games that's your thing you are very welcome here my friend perfect because i do it a lot (laughs) (laughs) um this is actually really cool because this game is actually based off video games as well so that fits perfect into your guys's like all-encompassing like let's cover board games anime everything that's what i love about it right and so they this is why i'm so for this like ctg one of my favorite game companies made a game based off of one of my favorite childhood video games called Gladys, which came out on the GameCube, Xbox, and PS2 era, where it was a gladiator school running around regions, recruiting gladiators, and then 
There was a final boss. Shocker, right? If you mm-hmm. haven't played the game by now, I'm sorry. There's spoilers. There's a final boss. Deal with it. It is a fun um, game. You can play co-op in a uh, tactical RPG. It's the only tactical RPG I remember where you can play with a friend. Yeah. Eric and I played it. It was one of my... Ah, it was like... It. One of the things that shaped me as a gamer, and I was the guy who was wanting to find all the Easter eggs. How did you recruit the Minotaur? How did you recruit the Yeti? I wanted to find every unique, like, recruit available, and how could I twist the game? I played so many playthroughs of that. That and, you know, Star Wars The Old Republic were my two, like, those were my childhood games, besides, like, Mario, right? Like, a classic thing. But, like, those are the two that really shaped me into the, the gamer I am today, I think. So, for this game to be what it is... And then actually kind of the cool thing, the the map and decision-making on where you're traveling in the regions was inspired by Slay the Spire. Um, you, can, you can't actually hit all the regions. You're on a timeline. There's acts to the game. Um, and so that's kind of the interesting thing with it is like there's so many choices and it's, it seems like it's going to be really awesome. They have individual, because they're chip theory, they have individual neoprene arenas that every region has special arenas. And those arenas you'll be fighting in and they specialize in different fights so maybe this region they really like capture the flag or different things and they have crowd favor and and then you know if there's unique people you can recruit in in the game so like or in the regions it's literally like gladys in board game form so like i'll be a giddy little girl when that hits my doorstep that's awesome i'm glad that you love chip theory games so much i'm glad that you're so passionate about my I'm a hard pass because it's chip theory, chip theory games. Last year, we talked about Burn Cycle, and I am very interested in Burn Cycle. I would love to play Burn Cycle. I think it's a fantastic premise for a game. I just had... We were going to try to do a show about chip theory games. We had a month lined up for Cyberpunk last year, and then, oh God, Cyberpunk stinks. We need to figure something else out. So we tried to pivot to chip theory games, and they were not accommodating at all. So having had Jamie Stegmeyer on this show, I... I was really turned off by just the way they interacted with me and my request to just talk to someone, anyone from the company about any aspect of any one of their games. So it's it's yeah. hard for me to get behind them as a company, although the game does sound interesting. If I do have to play, give me Crack and Lance. Crack and Lance. Perfect. Yeah, I, I think they go I, I think they went through a lot of growing pains and COVID and and there like there's a lot of factors to it. All I wanna say is let me try to give a second chance for them. Um, for me to convince you to be a fan, Tom. Fair enough. And, I mean, my reach with OIO isn't, you know, huge, but I am investing resources. I'm trying to grow this some and, like, you know, they're trying to grow too. So it's a situation where we could have helped each other. I guarantee one person from the OIO community would have bought at least one Chip Theory game from 15 minutes of their time talking to me. I mean, if I can sell a couple of those copies of Too Many Bones, I think you could too, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. That's true. Another thing that makes it hard to envision myself playing this game is that it's a solo experience. It's great that solo games are something that you're into. It's For me, if I'm going to play a solo experience, I'm going to be on my PS5. Like I'm going to be playing The Witcher. I'm going to be playing Bloodborne. I'm going to be playing something on my big TV. For me, board games are more of a social medium, and it's one of the few instances where I like interacting with other people. It's one of the few instances where I get out of my shell and like I can enjoy interacting with other people. So, Tom, the game, stop right there. I have remastered as well, coming, because I, I can't not buy a single product. I have to buy all the products, right? Uh, remastered is an arena battle where I bring my school, you bring yours, and then we beat up on Pat. Yes! Okay, I'm in. Okay, so we'll play Remastered, which is the remastered version of their original game. And then I also have coming, I think it's supposed to come next year, the expansion for uh, for Glory, which is 
going to make it instead of two players, four players. So then the three of us can have gladiator schools and Pat can have a gladiator school. We can all beat up on him. Yeah. All Including right, his talking. partner, right? Yes. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn, turn we'll code, we'll turn say two, two v two and then it'll really be a three v one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Oh, I'll be your partner. Sorry, Patrick. I can't block for you, dude. No, sorry. I have nothing to help you. My gladiators would not see the rock. Are you not entertained? <laughs> Bernsey, what's your level of interest in Hoplomachus Victorum? Um, probably similar, similar to you. Um, Do you I buy don't into think, the gladiator theme. No, no, actually, I don't mind gladiator themes. Um, it, for me, it's basically just I probably, I, I don't think I would buy a game solely to play by myself. Um, if I have the uh, option to play it by myself, um. Like, I would maybe take that once or twice, but for the most part, I like playing games with people. Like, that's what I enjoy. Um, and not from a competitive aspect, just from, like, the social aspect, getting around a table and, like, seeing what happens. Like, I, I like I like to see what occurs. Um, I've played some games solo before, and I, I like it, but I don't know that I would really ever get into it a lot. Um, and so I probably wouldn't buy a game where that's the only way that I could play it. Um, now, if I could... You know, borrow it from somebody who's going to be getting it and try it like that would maybe be something different but uh so yeah i fall into that same boat as you on on that perspective and coming back to you adam would you let someone borrow your single player only board game yep you can come over to my house anytime and play it in my basement <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's on the premises and you wear gloves you filthy creature <laughs> it eats eat your uh, cheetos with chopsticks <laughs> I almost mentioned that, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> was oh, that you, man. Adam, or was that someone else? No, That's, that was someone else. Joe McMartin went over oh. to playtest a module for Catan at a at a at a coworker's place, and he brought Cheetos to share with like whoever was playing. And so the guy took dumped all the Cheetos into a bowl, and then gave him chopsticks to eat with because he didn't want him to get the Cheeto dust onto the components. Let's. Let's dive into this a little bit. Like, oh, I'm, this is a topic. Well, I mean, I'm particular about my games. Like, if we're going to play my copy of whatever, I don't want you to, like, spill something on yeah. it. But I also accept that, you know, people are having snacks. Like, right. if you drop a burrito on my board game and it makes a big mess, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. I'm going to be frustrated. But, yeah. like... That's why they made cart sleeves, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't... <laughs> yeah, Cheeto Dust is annoying, but, like, it's not going to... Well... Yeah, well, I think the, game? the thing that he was most frustrated about was that he dumped all of them out of a bag into a bowl so that, like, I mean, he wasn't planning on eating all of them and was maybe going to bring the bag home with him, and then he couldn't, you know. If I got anything wrong with that, Joe, and you're listening to this, <laughs> let us know. Uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, set the record straight. You can bring it up in the Discord. Yes. <laughs> I used to have a friend when I lived in Maryland that would eat an entire bag of chips at lunch. Like, entire bag of chips. Wow. Yeah. The first time we did it, I'm like, oh my god, are they like ketchup flavored chips? <laughs> ketchup flavored chips, not a thing here, right? Like, uh -huh. that's not a Midwest thing. It's a big Canada thing. Oh, yeah, no, apparently it's a thing in Maryland, too. You eat an entire yeah. bag of ketchup chips. I'm like, oh god, hmm. I don't want one. They're surprisingly, they're surprisingly good, but, oh. um, yeah, it's not a, it's not something I would seek out. <laughs> All right, Burns, would you rather eat a thousand bags of ketchup chips or never get your copy of Marvel Dice Throne? Marvel. I mean, I, I, that's how weird. Like, this is like probably the weirdest. Like usually it's like something with lava, but now it's like. So I would have to eat a thousand bags of chips in order to get my copy of. Correct. 
So phone a friend. To, I would I would eat the thousand mega chips to get my copy of Marvel Dice Throne. Joe, the good news is he didn't put a time limit on it. Well, that's what I was trying to think of. So it's like the game will probably come out in a year. So a hundred bags of chips in a year would be like a third of a bag a day. But you could so also could just say that. like, I promise I will eat these eventually. Oh, that's true. No, no, you have to eat them before the okay, game will wow. be dropped. So, yeah, he already signed the contract, bag, though. It'd be a third of a bag a year, or a day. I could probably do that. What if you put, like, all the chips in a blender and made, like, ketchup chip shake? I bet you could really expedite it that way. Ugh, that'd be terrible, though. And, and like, then the sodium. Like, my heart would probably explode out of my chest. Yeah, well, don't die, because I don't think anyone else is going to do that show. Yeah, and I'm not going to bequeath my copy of Marvel <laughs> Dice Throne to you, either, in that case. <laughs> <laughs> you will not get that, good sir. Your, uh, your ketchup chip <laughs> shape destroyed me. Oh, <laughs> uh, my whole plan is ruined. <laughs> well, that was some great foreshadowing. Burns, you put up, or you backed Marvel Dice Throne on Kickstarter. Yes. This is a dice rolling superhero combat game. It is either co op or competitive. There is lots of dice rolling along with character development and leveling. What has you excited about Marvel Dice Throne? So, I've I, I played a bit of Dice Throne, and, and so. And I really enjoyed how it works because 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 basically you know you have your your dice and each character is sort of specialized as to like what abilities you you earn as you go through the game and you know you start off with like a basic set of abilities and you're kind of earning these better abilities and designing like what different skills you can do through that and so I was really intrigued with it with just like generic types of characters right and now that it's going to be Marvel characters. Like, that's super exciting to me because it's, it's you know, an IP that I, I enjoy and I care about. Uh, and it's a game system that I enjoyed. And I'm looking at seeing how they can make that into super vi- super uh, hero and super villain abilities, um, like, in that whole setting, you know? If I remember the slate of characters correctly, it's like Scarlet Witch, Black Panther, Miles Morales. Um, Loki is one. Doctor Strange is one, I believe. Captain Marvel. There are no X-Men, and I know you have an affinity yes. for the X-Men. Like, yes. are you bummed that none of them made the cut? Eventually, I would guess that, like... Because at some point, the X-Men dam is going to break. Like, now that Marvel has, like, all of the rights for the movies back, like, under Disney... Not all the rights. Well, all but Spider-Man. And like, Venom. all the X-Men ones... So now that they have all of those... All the good ones, eventually, right, Eventually, yes, oh. yes. All oh. the ones that matter. Okay, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> uh, but eventually, like, those movies are going to start to come out. Or some properties based with those are going to start to come out. And then that's when you're going to see the X-Men in Marvel Champions. And the X-Men, probably, like, Marvel Dice Throne 2 will be X-Men. Or 3 will be X-Men. And so eventually that dam's going to break. But are we really going to see them? Because... You know, we're board games enthusiasts. There's a certain level of, like, comic loving that runs through our general community. Uh-huh. And just because those characters haven't appeared in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, doesn't does that necessarily preclude them from being included in the games? Like, is it that important to feature characters in the games that are from the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I'm guessing that as part of the licensing, Marvel probably wants companies to display the characters that are out there and that they're doing things with. I do remember hearing in the last couple of years that they were burying the Fantastic Four because they didn't have the movie rights for them. Correct. Which now supposedly they're starting to make a Fantastic Four movie. But yeah, there weren't, for like a year or two, I don't think there were even comics of the Fantastic Four. Because Marvel's like, we're not going to keep putting out stuff about this that we can't get the rights back for. 
Um, they didn't do that with X-Men because the X-Men comics were too big. But, you know, Fantastic Four, which is an iconic... I, I, I never was a huge fan of them, but it was an iconic Marvel Comics, you know, setting. But, you know, they just let that go by the wayside until they could get that back. So sometimes business, you know, wins out over, like, the things that we enjoy, which is unfortunate. So is it a good thing or a bad thing that Disney owns Marvel? Because we're getting these awesome, like, visual properties, movies, mm-hmm. TV shows, such awesome content. But on the flip side, they bury the Fantastic Four, for Christ's sakes. They're comic royalty. Well, can I, like, I was very concerned when they acquired Star Wars, being a big Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. And they also came out saying, like, because I'm, I'm a Star Wars nerd that read the books. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I get into the Mandalorian Wars, like the old stuff that they didn't make video games on. Yeah. And I love the Old Republic because I honestly think Darth Revan is one of the coolest characters yeah. in Star Wars. And he got a little bit in a video game and they haven't done anything else to, like, make this super awesome character who jumps from light side to dark constantly because he's actually following what he believes morally. Mm-hmm. Like, such an awesome character that, like, anyone could relate to and not, I mean dual dual wielding a black and a purple lightsaber or a red and a purple lightsaber is pretty awesome in itself Mm -hmm. but they're slowly actually like they said they buried everything to begin with they said if it's not in a movie and we don't condone it like via the cartoon all of that is legacy not canon and now they've slowly been like hinting at stuff and now they have the remake of the old Republic coming out yep. that they've cleared. And in the last star Wars movie, they had like statues of old Sith Lords that were mm-hmm. buried supposedly at one point. So I'm just saying like, I can't promise anything obviously. Cause I don't, yeah. I mean, know any, you know, know anyone at Disney, but um, stay hopeful, I guess. Cause I've seen some good things out of the star Wars franchise and look what they've done to the star Wars franchise too. They've blown it up and they've taken one of my favorite characters and basically revitalized him in the new book of Fett coming out. So Again, very eloquently said. I would counter that the last three movies have been incredibly divisive. Well, right, but like... I think they're good. I enjoy them. I I did too, but I'm also like CTG fanboy, Star Wars fanboy. I can't really find anything wrong. I enjoy them. Well, this... And this is getting on to a topic that I can't remember what podcast we... Oh, we talked about it on Unfiltered last month. About, like, the fanboy culture and how for some people that are huge fans of certain properties nothing new that's put out is ever going to be as good as what they loved before. Like with Cowboy Bebop, which got canceled. Um, after oh, we'll the first get to season. that next month, my yes. friend. And, and so I think, I think that's I th- for some people, they're never going to be happy with, with, with like whatever iteration of something comes out down the line. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think Mandalorian was great. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing what they do with the book of fat. I am too. Um, and, and how like they could make, continue to make, Boba Fett more interesting because he was infinitely more interesting in the Mandalorian than he ever was in the movies, you know? And like, he was more interesting in the books than he was in the movies. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, now the other reason why I'm interested (laughs) in Marvel dice throne. (laughs) Oh yeah. We were talking about something (laughs) is, uh, so like, I really like quarriers. Quarriers is awesome. Quarriers is a great game. Quarriers is a lot of fun. And so, and I like the fact of having, like, something about having, like, a dice that are based around superheroes and, like, different abilities and stuff like that. Like, I'm really interested in that. I bought, like, a pack of Marvel Dice Masters, like, a big set 
of Dark Marvel Dice Masters at one point, which is like the Courier's Rules, but like with Marvel stuff. And I was super excited to to, to play it and try it, and like it 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 does not hold a candle to Courier's. It is nowhere near as fun or interesting to play because it's more set up as a one v one game. And I just we tried playing it once; it just wasn't as interesting. And so I'm hoping that Marvel Dice Throne scratches that itch for me um, and is going to then be... Because I've always like debated about buying Quarriers, but I, I kind of hate buying something that somebody else has. Because um, it's like, well, I'll just play Quarriers with Tom then. And that's and that's great. Uh, so this is like the game... Because he's my 15th best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But So Dice Throne is the game that I can own. And then this could be like my version of that type of thing. And so that's why I'm looking forward to it and why I backed it on Kickstarter. I love everything about this game. This is as close as I have ever come to kickstarting a thing. We almost did a Dice Throne themes show mm -hmm. in 2022. I wound up getting bumped for, I don't know, one of the 12 topics that we decided on. <laughs> I can't remember which one specifically. And it might, work, it might make its way back in. <laughs> yeah. You never know. If this game actually comes in. So I'm very excited for it. I can't wait to play your copy of it. Adam, what's your level of excitement? Um, it's definitely something I never even consider backing and it's not because of, I, I know Joe was interested in it and I have another buddy who owns, who actually taught us the original yep. Dice Throne stuff yep. that already owns it. And the level of interest is I will happily play it if they bring it and say, Hey, I really want to play this, but it's not something that I feel like I need in my collection. Um, that's just kind of, I mean, when you have 4,000, some games coming out all the time, <laughs> you, have, you already have 150 in your collection. You got to draw the line somewhere. And I don't think it's a bad game by any means. Who doesn't like battle Yahtzee um, <laughs> with cool themes and abilities and things like that? But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely like probably something I'd rank at like a seven for mm -hmm. me, high, but not like a must-have for me. So you heard heard it here first. Adam Wilson hates Marvel Dice Throne with a fiery passion, <laughs> yep. but he is excited to build a zoo in Ark Nova. Yes, very much so. So actually, this is a little bit of a gray duck, I think, for this whole theme of this podcast. This is not a crowdfunded game. This is a pre-order game coming out in February next year. Well, um, strike it from the list and let's move on. Yeah, no, I think this one is going to uh, make a lot of waves, though. It, it's getting a lot of buzz already from just preview copies being out. Um, well, it's a zoo-building game. Why don't you tell us a bit about the core mechanics and why you're excited for it? Yeah, so it's it's got kind of... The best way to describe it, I think, is from what people are saying. It takes mechanics from some of the best games... Doesn't improve on them, but just like, or doesn't like innovate anything new with them, but just makes those mechanics really good and work together. So you've got tile placement where you're basically building parts of your zoo within a certain area of like a conservation land. So like and, Carcassonne, right? Um, more like, um, it's Jurassic got like, World X. yeah, it's, it's hard because it's kind of like, uh, um, let's see here. Feast for Odin. Oh, God. You know yeah, how you yeah, have yeah, like yeah. you have your land and your stuff you're trying to cover up to get the bonuses gotcha. and stuff? That's, how That's exactly gotcha. how it is, okay. actually. Um, it's got set collection with collecting animals for your zoo, obviously, things like that. You get different bonuses if like you have a whole bunch of... You can get like a sister zoo from Australia, so mm -hmm. you can get animals from Australia cheaper. Like There's kind of correlations there with your set collection. You've got tableau building, because obviously we're each building our own zoo 
make, trying to make the best suit possible. You got card drafting um, because every card in this game, so there's over 600 cards in the game and they're all unique. So it's like Terraforming Mars where if you have a card in your hand, you know no one else has that card. And that's what makes, makes it exciting because I found elephants and now I just have to somehow get a huge enclosure for all of my elephants. <laughs> but Joe might have cute little cuddly panda bears and no one else is going to get those cute little cuddly mm-hmm. panda bears in, in, yeah. in their zoo. So. Yeah, suck it, China. Exactly. <laughs> I can't get my panda bears. Yep. Yeah, they're not getting out of container and, and then going it's, back. <laughs> it's kind of got the end game bonuses like Terraforming Mars as well. You're trying to work towards certain things that they have. You know at the beginning of the game what you're working towards if you can somehow manage that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think this game is going to make a big splash. Um, I'm very excited for it because um, it's kind of being described as like the new Terraforming Mars. So Terraforming Mars is But I haven't played the old Terraforming Mars yet. (laughs) I know. It's it's rated Terraforming Mars is one of the highest rated games. Um and and I really like the theme. Like the theme is just fresh, kinda like wingspan, right? Um it's got like it's not your stereotypical like, oh I'm building I'm building on Mars. Like and I love that stuff. But I I, there's just something that really intrigues me about this zoo builder. Lots of reviews are also saying like they love this so much. I believe Tom Vassell even said he might not ever play Terraforming Mars again because he likes this so much better. Um, so I think suck it Mars, right? I, I think I think that I think that's a pretty big statement from a guy who probably plays the most board games on planet Earth, or potentially right. one of the people who do. And he said he cannot stop playing this. Like, there's games he literally has an acute review, mm-hmm. and he keeps on bringing this to the table. And I'm not. There's some people that hate terraforming Mars too, right? Like, there's a game for kind of everyone type mm-hmm. thing, but I'm very excited for this because I really like terraforming Mars, and I actually sold my copy because I had a buddy who bought it at like the exact same time, and now I play his. But I've always kind of actually reconsidered buying it because I like it so much, and and I found this, and I'm like, this is my terraforming Mars. At some point, Tom, you'll find your terraforming Mars. It's in the room right over there. <laughs> I just need to open it up and have you teach me how to play it. <laughs> yeah, don't read the rule book. Are you a winner? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the, the one thing about Terraforming Mars, which is actually endearing now, but it has some of like just the the just worst graphic design like choices. It like yes. it's basically they it seems like they got a bunch of stock photos for everything and some of the stuff is just so weird looking and goofy. Um, but it's like endearing in its own little way. It's interesting. I made a fun joke on the uh, show notes. I was going to call it Zoo Tapestry, but Terraforming Mars was a major influence on Tapestry, so we kind of preempted my funny little I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, it's it's definitely like interesting, and I'm super excited for it. And I think one of the things I'm most excited for is, is the action selection in the game. So below your zoo, you have five slots. You have a one, two, three, four, five. And of the cards you have, you have five different actions you can take. I don't know all of them. There's like sponsorship and build and different things. But on each of those cards then are like levels of action you can do. So the easiest one to describe is the build action, right? So if you have build on level one, you can build a one-sized enclosure. Not going to fit my elephants. But if I wait for it to mature, for that action card to mature and make it all the way to five, I can build up to a five enclosure. So it's got this really interesting like river action mechanic where you're like having like the longer you wait for an action, the stronger it gets. 
but if you want to build a lot, you can. You're just building really weak stuff constantly too. Mm-hmm. So like it's got this kind of like push and pull interesting thing of I don't really want to do this, but it's a level five and I can now do this huge thing. And then on top of it throughout, you can't flip them all, but eventually you can like level up your zoo enough to flip your actions and those actions become even stronger then. And you can only maybe do two or three in the game of the five um, that I've kind of seen or heard. And so then you have, you're now even picking to specialize even more with something like, what do I really need maybe or Mm -hmm. something like that. So there's a lot of it that just intrigues me of, we didn't make anything new, but we took all these great mechanics. We mashed them together and made something like close to perfect is kind of what's been said so far about it. Two questions. One, how do I sabotage Patrick's zoo? And two, how can you make the animals fight? Um, well, my can... lions are going to take down your zebras, bird. So you can count on. I it. mean, that's part. Of... I've seen the Discovery <laughs> Channel enough to know yeah. that that's true. <laughs> yeah, part... wilds of the jungle. Yes, part, part of the game is actually building up your zoo and then releasing your animals for a conservation track. And then you have, like, victory points with conservation, and then once they cross, that's, like, the end game condition. Okay, so on the surface, that sounds ridiculous, but that is awesome. Right. I think that's really cool. So there's, like, there's rewards for, like, building up to something, and then, like, releasing it back to the wild, like, after you've restored it to a great level. So there's, there's that. I don't know. There's not a whole lot of fighting, I think, that goes on. So, Tom, this might have to be, like... A day that you don't have your vengeance out for Pat. What I'll do is... Those days don't really exist. I'll make cards um, that are like... It's it's going to be the PETA pack. And so it's all about... You get different PETA protesters that you can deploy in other people's zoos to decry their treatment of their animals... And I'll put all of those cards just in your, like, what gets shuffled out to you, and you can just play them only on Pat. I appreciate you, Burns. Yeah, the... The the player interaction in this game about the extent of what you can do to other players is steal their cards. Uh, there's like a river of cards out front that everyone can see is there. Um, and then you're building your reputation to get up to be able to take those. But I know there's cards like that attract certain cards. So one of the playthroughs I saw, a guy played down this thing that four of the five cards out was like a specific category. Because kind of like Terraforming Mars, there's like categories of mm-hmm. cards in the top uh, left, no, top right corner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Like he laid it down and the like someone was planning like for three or four turns to try to build up to get this card and his animal just attracted the four of the five cards and yeah. he took them into his hand. So like there's like the whole stealing and the thing with when you steal someone's card in this game, it's kind of a big deal because you're also discarding cards a lot for resources. So you're like literally taking a card just to throw it away and not even put it in your zoo. And that's about the extent of it, but it hurts enough because it's such a tight game, I think, that That's a mechanic still, I can get behind. It's still, it's still satisfying. <laughs> there's so. your there's your plan. Yes. Burns, are you excited to build a zoo? I'd give it a shot. Um That I'm sounds not, like a no. I'm just like animals in general aren't necessarily something that I'm like like I, I don't hate animals. You unless love it's wingspan, manatees. Dude. Yeah. You hate manatees? Yeah. Why do you hate manatees? They're the, they're the most worthless animal on the face of the planet. What about sloths? Sloths are pretty worthless. Sloths are still cool to look at. Yeah, they are. Manatees are just like these big floating like wastes of space. You know they're dying in Florida, right? Well, right. And, and to be honest, here's my whole take on it. Like, it's either it's either one of two things. One, they're either too stupid to know that a boat propeller is going to kill you. Or two, I they... I mean, they're animals. They don't have engineers amongst their ranks. Well, right, but you, hey... Do you expect them to become blacksmiths yeah. and, like, forge armor? No, no. It's like, I saw Pete swim upwards at this thing that was swirling, and his head got chopped <laughs> off. 
maybe I sh- I'm not going to do that. Pete, Pete, you took one for the team. If they're not smart enough to figure that out, like, then survival of the fittest. That's what well, Darwin talked about. But then, two, and this is what I really think is the deal. They hate their existence and are trying to end it, and we are holding them back from doing that. And so we're actually evil in not allowing them to just, like, you know, just get rid of themselves. So I, I, that's really what I think about man. Well, actually, there's a food shortage for them right now. It's neither of those two things. <laughs> and they're having to actually feed them. So I think we should pay for a trip for Joe to go down and feed the manatees. What do you think, Tom? Can Maybe. I feed them on a harpoon bolt? No, no, it's lettuce. You have to go give them lettuce in the ocean. Strip nine? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Sorry, Joe doesn't want his conservation level to go oh, up very high. I, I'm not. I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge fan of animals. Um, but I could still get into probably trying the game. So I'd try the game. But animals is not a theme that really draws me in. The wingspan is a lot of fun. Out of all the things that I've accused you hating with a fiery passion on the show, <laughs> manatees. I'm surprised that you've never like. This is actually like seriously. Ask Lance. This has been a running thing for over a decade. Of my distaste, disdain for manatees. Probably two decades now. What do the manatees ever do to you, dude? I'm, I just never have liked them. And I feel like it's so weird that we, like, change all of these things just because of these animals that, like, really don't do anything for anybody. Well, buffaloes don't do a lot for anybody. Well, they fed settlers back in the day. Yeah, so what have you done for me lately, World Prince? Yeah. They are cool. Have you ever seen a buffalo in person, though? Yeah, I was like three feet away from one of the Black Hills. Yeah. Tried to stick its head in my window. Yeah, they're pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Aside from being a big, burly animal that could trample yeah. me to death, sure. Well, true, but they're yeah. just big amorphous blobs. Yeah. The, yeah. the manatees are. Yeah, Burns hates Art Nova with a passion. Because <laughs> <laughs> of manatees. Because of manatees. <laughs> oh, it was fine until the manatee expansion pack was announced. Uh, <laughs> one if, thing... I, if I get the manatee card when we play this, Adam... He's going to eat it. I'm don't, not going to eat it. I won't play that I, game. I won't crumple it up like my Bo Jackson rookie card. Discard it for kid. resources. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. you'll show that manatee. <laughs> yeah, harpoon it. Burns hates the manatees, but he loves the Witcher. Burns, you didn't actually crowdfund this, so uh, I'm surprised we're going to talk about it. But the Witcher, old world. You get to be a Witcher years prior to Geralt roaming the land and slaying monsters. It is a competitive adventure game with deck construction, questing and exploration and it is a heavy focus on narrative it is produced by cd project red who own the rights to everything witchery why are you excited for this game besides it being witcher and looking awesome um so like the a we 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 i've put so much time into the witcher universe and i've grown to really enjoy it and like it at this point it's like catch it all right kind of like and and like seriously, the the miniatures of the monsters look really cool, and and it's not usually that like miniatures for a game are what draw me in, but that's one thing. Like seeing all those miniatures for like the different monsters are like really neat. Be sure to lean into that lesher. That looks yes. cool. Yeah, yeah, and so so that's definitely one thing. Uh, I think the premise of the game is kind of fun. Like, so you're 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 ahead of all the like actual like narrative stuff that happens in it, and basically what you are is you are a witcher in one of the different witcher schools. And then you're trying to get more trophies than everybody else um, before. And basically if you get six trophies, you win the game. Uh, And so you're basically competing with other people to get to the monsters that you can defeat uh, given your skills. And 
So as you're playing the game, you're deck building and you're learning your skills. And then you're, you're going on quests. And the quests are actually the heavy narrative part of it that seem really interesting to me. Because you, you get like these, these quests that help to fulfill like the lore of your character and the decisions that you make as you go through to, to sort of help show what kind of a witcher you are. Uh, and then you're developing your skills. And then when you have combats with, with the enemies, uh, like you play a parry card, which is then going to link into another attack, which is going to link into another attack. And it's, it's sort of building out these synergies of what you can do to try to take down, take down the monsters which just seems really interesting to me, and eventually you can end up fighting competitive, like one of your one of the other witchers, to try to take them down and get points from them, basically. Uh, and so, like all of that just seems really interesting to me, and and a new way to experience the world outside of like the heavy narrative revolving around Siri and, and Geralt. Uh, it's just a way to make like the Witcher universe your own. Air quotes uh, is appealing, also, and so I think that's that's one of the things that really seems interesting to me even though i'm not usually a huge fan of like competitive games more of a co-op person uh this game kind of leans in that direction and the reason why i added it is there's probably a good chance i buy it the main reason why i didn't is because i have so many other kickstarters that haven't come yet that it's like i kind of need to see like these games before i would get it um but it's definitely like it's it's it's, it's gnawing at the back of my head well as your friend, as your intrepid leader of Outside is Overrated, and as a uh, established critic of board games, my official advice is <clears throat> pull the trigger so I can play it, dude. <laughs> I'm not super interested in being a witcher in the time before girl. Before, after, you know, whatever. Witches fight monsters. I like fighting monsters in games. That's fine. I thought the upgrade system looks really interesting in this. It's basically a set of like cutouts on your player card, mm -hmm. and there's little cubes that go in them, and it starts. They all start at a bottom level, and you can do different things to upgrade your different abilities, and then you move the cube up a peg. For some reason, I always like that mechanic, and maybe that's why I love Scythe so much. I love putting cubes on a little board and <laughs> filling things up. You should play Dinosaur Island then. Oh yeah, lots of cubes, lots in, of in DNA holes. cubes going up holes. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. Sounds like my jam. Maybe even Dinosaur World, Ooh. now that I have that as well. Yeah, there you go. One of the hooks of the Witcher Hold World. I'm just going to gloss right past that. Yep. <laughs> One, although I would like to play. I like dinosaurs. Sounds good. And DNA sounds fun. Another show. Yeah, let's be friends. <laughs> One of the hooks of the Witcher Hold World is the interesting moral choices you get to make. I watched the start of a gameplay video where the game designer was playing with his wife and his friend, and they drew one of these cards, and they had the interesting moral of moral choice... Of a hill. And they could choose either to climb the hill or don't climb the hill. Those are the hard-hitting choices that CD Projekt Red is truly oh. known for and how that hill will loop back into the narrative experience yes. later. Yes. I mean, hey, you, you never, never besmirch a hill. Never. It'll come back to bite you. Yeah. Dude tried to climb it. He lost an item. That <laughs> yeah. is too high a price to pay. I will literally die on the hill before I give up my loot. I really like the Witcher franchise, but just something with this board game could not catch my interest. Um, I was like, I love like the flash in the pan at first. Mm -hmm. I, I had a I had the early 48-hour backer mm -hmm. bonus and all that stuff, and I had the pledge, and I watched like two playthroughs and couldn't really get into it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I like the mechanics, but like I'm literally bored watching some... like. I'd like to watch other people with board games. So me saying I'm bored watching someone yeah. play the board game is a bad sign typically for me. Right. So 
I actually, it was one of the first ones, it was like one of the first pledges that sometimes when I back and then I wait till the very last day, this was like uh, day three, I canceled my 48 hour early pledge. Oh, wow. Um, I'm, if someone brought it and said, hey, Adam, I want to change your mind on it, mm-hmm. I would give it a shot. But this is not something I'm going to spend my own money on, I think. so. Yeah, and that's the biggest detriment is just the cost of it. Yeah. Because it's like, I can't just buy the base game. I have to buy like all the three it. expansions. And like all told, it's like, what, $400 yeah. or $300 to and buy? who and would spend like, that much on a board game? I mean, I, I kind of have, but <laughs> that, that's part of the problem is that I'm waiting on some of those games that I've spent almost yeah. that much on yeah. uh, to play those first. And so it's, it's one of those things where... Do I really need another game that's that expensive? And that's been the biggest like detriment to me picking it up. That's like buying a PS5 and then not being able to play it. Like that's got to be mm-hmm. just maddening. Like I can't, I can't, I can't do that. Like I, the weight would drive me literally crazy. I hope that you do decide to back this game, Burn, so that I can play it. But uh, <laughs> until then, <laughs> until then, I guess it's a hard pass on me for the Witcher. <laughs> well, maybe maybe until then we can play something that I know is good. And what would that be, Adam? We should explore the idea of playing Explore It. Oh, you guys don't even need me. I'm just going to check it out over here. That was beautiful. This is just magic. Um, yeah, so my third game that I brought up um, is Explore It, the domain of Mirza Noct- Noctis. Yes, Noctis is finally back. Yes. Um, I should play more of that game. Yeah, so this is volume four of six, and it's like your Victorian horror, vampires, werewolves, necromancers, oh my, type, you know, theme. Um, I talked a lot about the Hexport series previously, so I don't want to hit, I want to kind of just hit some new points on it. Like I said, it's basically the emulation, emulation of D&D, I think, mm-hmm. in the best form of board game you can possibly have. With the latest expansion, though, or Volume 4 coming out, all characters across all versions can play on any version. And okay. with all of the character customizations at this point, you have over 2 million character combinations <laughs> you could do to build a character in the game. That's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, it's... I mean, like... The so re- which one is the best, Adam? <laughs> I have to play a couple more by myself in the basement, because I play this one in the basement by myself a lot. Um, to figure out which one, but oh, man, it, it is such a satisfying game leveling that character, and and it's like it's like leveling like true to D anD D, right? When you are level one and you're rolling seven damage and you're excited because you hit the cobalt uh-huh. for seven damage and you're like, oh my god, I did so much damage! This <laughs> is awesome. And then you know, and it's the same concept. And then by the time you're leveled up and you're like, okay, well, I just comboed for like three hundred and forty two damage and i exposed it for joe to like fireball the crap out of this guy and he's gonna do like times two damage and then tom's gonna suck all the energy out and make him vulnerable like times four and why now, do i have to suck the energy out well <laughs> um it's just it's it's a very satisfying game and it, i mean like i said i i, I guess I could just keep on talking. A cool thing with the campaign, I'll try to hit some of the high points here and I'll let you guys ask questions or interject here. Um, with this one, they're making their first official actually campaign mode in a book form going back to volume one. So Valley of the Dead King is getting a campaign with this campaign. Okay. And then they also included some new things like a day and night cycle. Um, the premise of the game is some, you know, Mirza Noctis is stealing blood from all the villages and he's trying to build up to this big thing and you're trying to prevent him from doing that. And the the cool thing with this one is actually 
Uh, volume one is like your intro scenario to the Hexplorer world. Volume two almost doubles the difficulty, and volume three is almost like uh, Adam style mm-hmm. crunchy game, and that's like the Dune kind of Arabian Nights desert themed game. Yeah. So they made it like it escalated very quickly. They're bringing it back down. Uh, this actually falls at what they consider the second most difficult and uh, kind of level of complexity okay. per se. Not that it's easy. You can turn different dials to make it easier or harder. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, they have like this whole day and night cycle. And then they also introduce crypts, which are actually mini dungeons that you have to adventure through okay. um, to get. And if you get too far into it and you can't get out, you can actually have a total party kill as well in there as well. so lots of cool things they're always innovating and i'm very excited for this one i'm going to issue a challenge to you i want you to make a 10 minute video exploring all two million character combinations that's possible with like times 16 speed on a video editor <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a challenge accepted it sounded it sounded like challenge accepted <laughs> sure you can just say genie i wish you free <laughs> I don't really have any questions. This game sounds awesome. You talked about it earlier with the mechanic for this the best dungeon crawling onboarding. I can't believe I've never heard of Explore It before or that I just tuned it out if you ever <laughs> talked about it around me. This game sounds awesome. Perfect. Like exactly what I want in my gaming time. Yeah, and maybe to give you a better idea of even how much I'm all in on this, it competes probably with my top spot against Too Many Bones, and I'm a, obviously a big CTG fan. And on top of it, for the latest GameFound, because he switched to GameFound, one of the many publishers that have, mm-hmm. I was backer number eight for this campaign. Oh, like, wow. It launched, they had all my money. Done <laughs> story, didn't care. I didn't care how much it was. And it was like, because I want it. I want all six volumes. And the cool thing, too, for thematic reasons, all of their volumes look like books. So on my yeah. board game shelf, it looks like I have volume one, two, and three right now. The Hexplore It, you know, books. And, mm-hmm. and so you pull down this book, basically, and, and it's really a board game. So they really thought about it whole even to the board game box itself. So you guys are like board gaming royalty. Adam more so than Burns. <laughs> Suck on that, Burns. That's fine. Do you, That's true. Do you guys look down on me for being like a complete freeloader and like not wanting to kickstart any of these games and not being willing to lay out that initial batch of resources and that just riding on your coattails Burns is shaking his head no 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 because i don't know i mean like i I, for the longest time i vowed i was never going to back a game on kickstarter and then i backed the second edition or the second printing of gloomhaven you know and thoroughly enjoyed that game and so then I, that's what sort of got me into looking at that but i know it's not for everyone like i was yeah. deathly opposed to it um until i finally like succumbed to it um, i could see myself at a later stage in life when like my house is paid down more my girls are more grown college is like taken care of like i could really see myself going down a rabbit hole then but at this phase of my life i just oh couldn't do it no matter how awesome this looks on a bookcase and like i really really want to see your collection out of life like it just sounds aesthetically amazing like what you see on instagram from board game collections mine's just a closet crammed full of games now yeah, yeah. mine's just piles of games because i have no room for them my or no shelving for them right now <laughs> my wife had to allow me a room in the basement in order to get as she says the crap behind a door <laughs> so um and, and to, kind of to your point there are uh people like such as myself who kind of consider themselves as board game suppliers right i don't Sure, I play solo games, but I actually don't buy games to, like, 
play as ironic as this sounds play by myself i i want to share these games and 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 i think that's a lot of the mentality of the board game culture is too like i think joe and i've gotten better too of realizing Mm -hmm. like hey are you backing this because i'm interested as well that's what happens with merchants cove actually we we talked and i was like well if you're backing that i'm gonna i'm gonna get a different one um just to try to help spread the the cost there but I, I really don't have any problem with people not wanting to buy board games but wanting to play games. Yeah. And, and I have no problem sharing my games with them as well. Right, so. and that's why I buy the games is to play them with people. And so, right. yeah, if you're just playing the games with me, that's fine. You're helping to do what I want. And then I'll make you talk about them on my podcast. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a... It's a I was going to say parasitic relationship, but that's not what I was looking for. It's Symbiotic. A, there we go. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Symbiotic. Yeah, you're Eddie Brock, and I'm the goo that covers you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, you're cosmic goo. Cosmic goo. Patrick is Spider-Man, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> we have covered a lot of games here today. We have covered hardcore fantasy dungeon crawlers. We've covered abstract themes like building a zoo. We've covered just about every genre imaginable, except for the rough-and-tumble, never-say-die, Victorian-era British colonization of John Company, second edition. (laughs) I was wondering how you were going to try to segue into this. Clearly, we saved the best for last. Burns, I'm so glad that you put this on the list. I had no idea that this thing existed or that there was a market for this. And that this is a second edition, so the, there's a first game that actually existed of this before. I'm really glad we can explore other options around here. <laughs> <laughs> John Company's second edition features British aristocrats influencing the East India Trading Company. It is a competitive negotiation, dice-rolling, push-your-leg-style game. I know that I messed up a word in there, but it's late and I'm tired and I don't care. It's, already <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Bernsey, how... How on earth did you stumble across this weird thing that has you controlling influential British families from like the 17 and 1800s? So I, I actually stumbled across it uh, because uh, Isaac Childress, who created Gloomhaven, had posted about how it was one of his favorite games that he's played before, uh, partially because of how it's like so true to the setting of the game, but yet like approachable enough that. You know, granted, you're playing a game about British aristocrats in the 1800s trying to use a large <laughs> merchant company to their ends. Uh, but that's what got me intrigued. And then, like, I read enough about the game that it's just it's it's quirky and interesting enough. And I know that it's not going to be for everyone. Like, this is a game that probably will never get played with, like, most of, like, your gaming group, I would think. Just because they hate a Toccato doesn't mean that they're going to hate being British Aristocrats. Aristocrats. Yeah. I, I I don't necessarily know that it's going to be for them, but for me, it's a really interesting setting. And, and the fact that it's kind of tied into all of that and that's unique is one thing that's really appealing to me. Uh, it's also something that I know a lot of people have said is just a really, like a really good game. Uh, one of the other aspects of it, as I did more research on it, though, was like the variability of how the game can actually wrap up depending upon like how well or poorly you work together or the decisions that happen or just the random things that happen in the game. Like at the end of the game, you all could be just like the East India trading company could be this huge thing that you have like led to doing like super well. And you're all like making money off of it. 
Or it could go so poorly that the company folds and you're just playing pieces that have splintered off of it that are your own companies at the end of the game. Uh, that's like, it's just so interesting, like the directions that it can go. You could have to quell an uprising in India, um, you know, depending upon if that happens or not. So there's just, there's so many different things that can occur with it. And I've always been interested in the whole, like you're working together towards a shared goal, but you're competing against each other. Like that's an aspect of games that I want to see in play because I've always thought that that would be an interesting way to make a competitive game that's still partially cooperative. Like you have to work together enough to make this all work, but you need to work together best to your own advantage in order to win. It's like Battlestar Galactica. Similar to Battlestar Galactica. And so I find those games very hard to balance though. Right. To find that, right amount of we're working together but i'm mm-hmm. still for myself yeah is very hard and for me it can be a big like okay no i'm done i, yeah. I don't need to play this again type thing um but if they do it well it's actually very intriguing and a really good mechanic yeah i thought this line was interesting from the crowdfunding page <clears throat> If you've ever wanted to play a board game with the narrative scope and skullduggery of a Victorian novel, John Company is your game. I haven't read a lot of Victorian novels, but uh, I'm always down for some good skullduggery. I thought this mechanic in particular was really interesting. Players are able to negotiate, so there's almost no downtime between actions. You can give away future favors to turn negotiations. I think I think that there's actually potential there with my core group of friends for that sort of back and forth and negotiation. And I love I love the fact that Things are always happening, and you won't get bogged down by anyone going into the deep thing. That is true, because our game of Game of Thrones, where we played eight ways, there was a lot more, like, teaming up or fake teaming up. Uh, Alliances built and broken in a second. Casey Uh, has no honor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so so I could see maybe, as long as they could get past the theme... um, I could see that maybe that maybe then working. Uh, you you are right on that on that front. Um, but yeah, I I don't have like many games that are all about negotiating, and so I think that's another aspect that I just I just want to see how that works. Granted, if you get a group of people together and they just don't do a lot of horse trading or things like that, then the game's probably not going to be as fun. And so that's like a, a concern I have. But I'm still interested in trying to trying to make that work. I once played a game of Super Fight with a group of friends. Are you familiar with the premise of Super Fight? I'm like, not. Basically, you're handed a couple of cards, and you have to debate who would win in the fight. Like, you could have ninjas with the U.S. military <laughs> going up against Godzilla with a flamethrower. Okay, yeah, I have, have heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to argue who wins. And I, I played with a group once who was just like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Well, when you're wrong, you're wrong, I guess. Okay, move on, next scenario. (laughs) It's like my friend Nick in high school that, like, once you get to a certain point in an argument, all you just start saying is, nah, 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 nah. And then it would have to end because there was nothing else that was going to (laughs) happen. Progress has stopped. And then I peed in his (laughs) Kool-Aid. I can't believe you did that to another human being, dude. He had it coming. He was worn, too. He just drank it anyway. Oh my gosh. Was he what secretly a manatee wearing clothes? No, no. But that was in Florida. So oh. manatee adjacent. Manatee adjacent. <laughs> it's good to know that manatees bring up the worst. <laughs> manatees bring up. 
I'm surprised this is a portion of Burns lore that you never knew about until this moment. Oh. I can't believe that manatees bring out the worst in Burns. <laughs> Burns, you had suggested one thing for a lightning round. I'm going to completely disregard that, and I want to wrap up our conversation this way. Let's each pick one game that we talked about today that we are most excited to play. Out of everything we've discussed, whether it came out this year or is supposedly coming in 2022, which game out of everything we've discussed are we most excited to play? Any volunteers to go first? I can lead us off, but I feel like... Go for it, Tom. Yeah, go for it. It's tough for me. I really want to say Marvel Dice Masters, because like that just... Or my nope. Marvel Dice Tower. Dice Throne. Throne. God. <laughs> words. <laughs> Marvel Dice Throne. I really want to say Marvel Dice Throne. Because I just love... I love chucking dice. I love the Marvel skin. I love everything that that game has. The great design. Everything. But, to be honest, it's got to be explored for me. Like, I... I'm so surprised by this game that it's never been on my radar. Like, it sounds like everything I enjoy. I love a good dungeon-crawling fantasy RPG-style game. So give me Explore, whether it's the original or the domain of Mithra Noctis. Yeah, I'm actually... That's probably mine as well. Um, like Even, I said, it competes for my top slot. And and it's hard to say, right? Like, that can change month to month. But, but um, yeah, Hexplore just has, like just something like it's like your character is literally a whiteboard like a cardboard like whiteboard style where you are pen and papering your stats constantly and but it's dry erase so you're sitting there and then there's like gear level up and it's like it's so satisfying like people look at it and you're like you're literally writing numbers down in your character and you're like yeah because it's like D D, and it's so satisfying that you know, two hours ago, my guy did seven damage and I'm up to 56 now when I punch him in the face. <laughs> like, there's just something so satisfying to it. And it's like, I've never been bored and I love teaching Explore and I've never felt like, I think like I'll, I compare games to it, I think more to Explore than I even do too many bones these days with how it's like, okay, do I want to play that? Or is it just something like, is that going to take up time for me putting Explore onto the table? Um, I think it's a great game, and and I wouldn't do it again. I actually did a teach of six players, because you can have up to six players mm-hmm. in it. Um, that was very clunky, but I also think half the players weren't super invested into it. Um, and oh, that it was is like the worst. When you're like trying committing... to drag them along for a couple hours at some point. but it, It's the worst when you're committed to a game. Like You have a bunch of people committed, and then if there's anyone that's like checked out, oh, that drives me When, when High crazy. Garden just doesn't really want to participate and spends most of the time talking to your wife, yes. <laughs> you're not baiting me. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'd say Hexport is my most anticipated game coming out next year as well. So, Bernsey, what's your response? Well, so, uh, the game that I most am looking forward to playing, uh, we haven't talked about yet on this podcast, so I, I can't say that I'm most interested in playing Frosthaven. Oh, that's why you wanted to do your lightning round. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Frosthaven last year. It's a board yes. game adaptation of a survival video game. No, nope. uh, that's Frostpunk. Frosthaven is the oh, sequel to Gloomhaven. Yeah. Oh, yes. God, I'm a terrible host. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sequel to Gloomhaven. So that's my number one. If we're talking about only games that we talked about today... Um, John Company? No, Hexplorit would have been it, but since you talked about Hexplorit and said that was yours, then my pick would be, I want to play more Anachrony. Okay. Out of everything we talked about. Today. I'll you take want to play answers. the same game? 
Well, no, that, that was my number two, but to, to give another perspective, then it would be inaccurate. We can all be super best friends. We can all play Hexplorit. We could have a trifecta of the Hexplorit series. Yeah, let's all team up on Pat and Matt, too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll play the healer that never heals Pat. Yeah. yeah right. I didn't yeah, take any works. healing spells. That's fine. <laughs> it's not working. It's working for everyone else. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Maybe you're <laughs> cursed. Try stabbing yourself. Yeah. But no, it's it's definitely a good series. So Board games are awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode of Outside is Overrated. Any last closing thoughts on board games that you have crowdfunded or the crowdfunding experience? No, just play more games, right? Yeah, pretty much. Hopefully 2021 has... Less not playing games and more playing games. Yeah, twenty twenty two too. Oh yeah, that's next year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's this year. Yeah, when, when you're hearing this. Yeah, because we Whoa. are in the future. Time travel. Yeah. We should probably all play Anachrony. I'm in Jamaica right now. Well, maybe. Who knows? That that's a good place to be. Yeah. You're Hopefully, old. I've passed my my plug <laughs> with my sticks <laughs> at this point. Yeah, Otherwise, the beach is a little unbearable. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Just sweat it all out, Brady. Yeah, see, it works. Just poop out of my pores. <laughs> Old poor pooping birds. <laughs> Bane of vanities. Oh. <laughs> Next month, we're going to break down Cowboy Bebop. We are going to review the recent Netflix live-action show and the deck-building game Cowboy Bebop Space Serenade. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Joey at Hobby Box Burns and Adam Wilson at Ox's Auditorium. Boom, nailed it. I'm Thompson Logic at Thompson Logic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. <laughs> Today we are going to discuss board games and more than likely sing like cats. <laughs> we'll talk about the crowd. <laughs> Dude, put me down for another psycho. And I should have been gone. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I said no more dirty psychos. Just easing the tension, baby. Just easing the tension. Well, go ease it on somebody else. Actually, I could use a little tension easing. You want to get behind me and like... No, you've got this. Come on. Oh, burns. I'm there in spirit for you. <laughs> Adam, you haven't been on Outside is Overrated since we did this show last year. How did 21 treat... 2020... Be... Years. This is going to be a long night, fellas. Okay. No, I think recording... Or, or editing, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> Yeah, The Witcher show, I just like mailed it in, dude. It's like, okay, listen for swear words. Cut, cut, cut. Okay, we're good. Good enough. <sighs> so is it a good thing or a bad thing that Marvel owns Disney? It's Disney owns Marvel. We're going to strike that from ever being said in the history of the world. <laughs>